When a humble bard graced a ride along with Geralt of Rivia, along came this song. From when the white wolf fought a silver-tongued devil, his army of elves at his hooves at bay level. They came after me with a masterful deceit Broke down my loot and they kicked in my teeth While the devil's horns minced our tender meat And so cried the witcher, he can't be bleed Toss a coin to your witcher Oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty I'm called the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome to a big one. Welcome to a special one. And yes, it is more Witcher. But yes, I have a Jedi geek girl herself here, not talking about Star Wars, not even Jedi Geek Girl talking about Marvel, which I was ash- I thought for sure a month ago would be our first non-Star Wars major podcast in 2020. But here we are talking about The Witcher. I'm just so excited to be talking about this with you. Uh, uh, mostly I'm excited to share this with the listeners because you and I have been talking a ton about this uh, since we both started watching it a little while ago. So as I welcome you in, I have to ask... Have you indeed recently tossed a coin to your Witcher? I have on multiple occasions, and I have you to thank for that. So it's been a crazy month, and I appreciate you tossing a coin my way to give to the Witcher. Oh, yes. Oh, so many coins tossed to the Witcher. Uh, And God, is he beautiful. Geralt, Henry Cavill himself. Um, but there's a lot of beautiful and brilliant people involved in all this. Uh, Jay Geek Girl, very quickly, um, how's your 2020 going? If there's any way we can, like, you know, temporarily, uh, cut off the big thing that we really don't want to talk about that's still in the air at the moment. How's your 2020 going? Honestly, it has been a little rough, but I'm, I'm, I'm working my way through it. Well, with friends like me and shows like The Witcher, there's always hope. Indeed. Indeed. Thank God for good friends. Absolutely. Thank God for good friends. And we've been through it. We've been through it. Like, our friendship spans The Last Jedi until now. So, even though we do talk a lot offline about not Star Wars, in terms of the, the turbulence of the Star Wars world, our friendship has spanned, right, like, the entirety of the modern insanity uh it, around around star wars whereas like six months before you and i started talking before last jedi everything was still peachy keen and roses and and flowers and rainbows everywhere oh what a time it was so <laughs> was in 2017 it's like Boy. all those songs that sing about how great woodstock was guys my mom went to woodstock she said it was muddy smelly there was no water there was nothing to eat and it was disgusting the sound was terrible half the bands didn't even show up or play so you know what i mean it's like it's so easy to look back and be like oh woodstock was was heaven on earth it's like mm, not so much <laughs> i 
mean, we were pretty innocent in 2017. Oh it yeah, came to Star Wars. Yeah, so. yeah, because me in 2017 was Rogue One and Star Wars Rebels washing o- over me 24 seven, basically. Yeah, in 2017, I was still like reading a lot of the books and the comics. Like Rebels, obviously. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. It seems like I have done a lot since 2017. 2017 was the first time I dived into Legends. I was reading the Zon trilogy. I I was caught up in Star Wars Destiny. I was pretty much, and now like everything is different. I have done so much, and Star Wars itself has changed, and it's like. You you do get a little nostalgic because it was a lot simpler and things were a lot cleaner than they are now. Yes. Well, th- I just wanted to do this in the beginning so we get out of the way because you are Jedi Geek Girl of the Ira Belt podcast. Uh, so uh, two things I want to mention. I know you and many people are extremely still angry. I'm still just very disappointed and confused. I never went back for a second watching, by the way. JGG, you know I didn't finish The Mandalorian. I haven't rewatched it, other than the Deborah Chow amazing episode three. God bless her. Uh, I haven't really watched much of that. Haven't gone back to, the, to Star Wars. Uh, but I will say two things. I will say two things. And this isn't just directed at you. It's directed at other angry, upset, confused Star Wars fans out there. Guys, we are getting the fucking final Clone Wars, Siege of Mandalore, Ahsoka Maul stuff that we've been wanting for so long. And it's all people we love that are involved. And it's an animated show. It's one season. It's coming in a few weeks. For me, that gives me great comfort, even though this, the, 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 the implied fear Jedi Geek Girl is that there's nothing... F- Let's say even if I'm ready to give Star Wars another chance, which I am just for Clone Wars, then there's nothing for a long time. But the other thing, Jedi uh, 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 Geek Girl, and you know that's what I say for the listeners, is that my other contributor, Simi, who's not known for discretion or holding things back or keeping secrets... Um, pretty uh, openly on the podcast, um, without reservation, said that one of his close friends, who I, I'm friends of the, this, these people's family from growing up, he's close with them, just got hired as yet another producer on whatever Ryan Johnson's doing next. So if you guys out there are very happy with the J.J. Abrams vision, as I currently am, and it, very excited for someone like Ryan Johnson to hopefully come back sooner than later. I can say with much confidence that that movie is not going to be five years away. And so if you're excited about, about you know, uh, 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 an interesting Star Wars movie that's of, you know, the most interesting directors that they've had, I can say for sure Jedi Geek Girl, you don't have to respond, I can say for sure they are fast-tracking this particular film. I don't know what that says, uh, but for me personally, I'm excited because I need, I need a film on the horizon, even if if it's a couple of years away again to keep me engaged with this property sorry for blabbing no no worries i would like to say i don't know why people think i am so angry my feelings are that of mass disappointment the analogy i use is i came home and i found out my ex was cheating on me i i mm. had this happen to me i wasn't angry i was hurt i was disappointed i was sad i was apathetic that's my current state and i'm still mm. trying to work out the emotions like i kicked him out of the house i'm thinking I'm deciding, is he still worth worth it? Um, is, is he still that guy that I fell in they love broke with? Down, it, 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 they broke down your loot and kicked in your teeth. 
Yeah, it was a matter of trust, and that's my personal feelings. Not everybody feels that way. If somebody's angry, that's fine. If somebody loves it, that's fine. I can just say what my feelings were, and like I said, mine were a lot more apathetic and depressed more than it was angry. Not that anger isn't a part of it, because anger is always a part of it, but that's not the primary feeling. Uh, it does, There's a lot of depression in it, So, but that's me. So, The Witcher, because <laughs> right now, fuck Star Wars. Look, Jake, I'm excited to come on with you in six weeks, and hopefully at least be like Clone Wars was great, even if we don't like what's going on. Let's table that for now, because the main event here is The Witcher. And guys, this is mostly going to be... Actually, Jake, when I thought of this, and you agreed to do it, and thank you for coming to talk The Witcher, which I love so much, but I've talked everything... You know, and I talk a lot with Simi in the recent podcast, but he's read, uh, you know, more than half the books at, at this point as well. I got him into that, luckily, before the show, because he's an audiobook guy like me, and they're amazing. Um, but but I, I'm, you know, I, I've done the commentaries. I, I've talked about the lore. I, I'm here to answer non-spoiler questions, uh, but mostly here to ask you about your experience uh, with it. Um, and so, uh, do you mind if I just get the central back padding out of the way now? With, annoying asshole bizzle for 10 seconds and then I'm gonna just gonna throw questions your way before you do I would like to say if it wasn't for the disappointment of Rise of Skywalker I probably would not have given this show yes. a chance yes so, at least not at first at least not at first and so passionately first, yeah. and so devotedly which I also want to thank and praise you for for just going well, at it well, if I was still in love with Star Wars, if Rise of Skywalker delivered, I wouldn't have had time because I would still be reading Star Wars. I would still be devoting time to like Star Wars Destiny and stuff like that. So I wouldn't have had the time to dive into it. I, I had other shows as my priority. So if it wasn't for needing the break from Star Wars and the mass disappointment of Rise of Skywalker, I probably would not have given it a good look for mm-hmm. quite a while. Well, to bridge though... To, to to bridge, you know, the Force stuff, uh, which, by the way, they don't mention the word Force in the first season of The Witcher. It's all over the the, the books as the translation, um, but it, it's also translated in the books as, as power, which we hear about, and obviously chaos, which we hear a lot about, which we'll get back to with Yennefer, her teacher, Tosaya, and what underlines things. But Force, power, and chaos are all translations of, of, a, of a Polish word that basically has to do with, like, force, magic, you know, in, in their world, uh, or, or whatever. Uh, but, but to make the bridge here as, uh, as, uh, Shunzu said, or Sun Tzu, as people say, it's pronounced Shunzu, guys, in the art of war. He says, in the midst of great chaos, there is also great opportunity. And so, it wasn't just that I was, uh, it, I was definitely opportunistic, Jakey Girl, in throwing The Witcher your way, but it also was as a friend who was like, listen, I know you like stuff like this, it's gonna be weird, but you need something else to watch. And I, the back padding I was going to give myself was just that I was like a year old prepared for being disappointed or annoyed or just bored with Star Wars a year later and thus would have The Witcher. And, and it worked out on the podcast and it worked out in my private life. I was also able to share it with lots of people as well. But you were, you were the first uh, who I was able to, to, to share it with. 
Um, and I was never excited, obviously, and I'm never happy when you're unhappy about Star Wars. God knows. We all want you to be happy constantly about Star Wars, as we all do. But I did see the opportunity for something there. And uh, first of all, thank you for trusting me enough uh, 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 as a friend uh, to just even give it a look when I first mentioned it. Yeah, no problem. It's not the first time I've checked something out uh, that you recommended to me. Unfortunately, I don't do it enough, but uh, I'm sorry to keep on rambling about Rise of Skywalker, but uh, you know that I was having concerns about a year ago, and I kind of like fell into the celebration hype and yep. stuff like that. It we wasn't did. until a week before the film that I'm like, I got a bad feeling about this. I have a massive feeling I am not going to love the Rise of Skywalker. And then I, I try to be falsely excited and I tell you, no, 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 I am excited. And you're like, remember this treat? I'm like, uh, I have my mood. And then, then I'm like, yep, well, I, I guess I was right. Uh, but, you know, w- what can you do? So sometimes you got to trust your feelings. So, but, but, but yeah, I, I was really excited to dive into it because it was something to get my mind off of Star Wars and it, it was quite uh, refreshing, but we'll dive into that very, very shortly. So can I just list for the listeners the reasons why I thought you would like it or there was a chance of you liking it based on Star Wars? Go for it. Well, the first one is that Siri is going to be a much more complicated and developed Rey or Luke Skywalker character. We're not there yet. They hinted that a ton with her, you know, powers and her sort of messianic uh, prophecy in the first season. And I don't feel bad saying this. And guys, this podcast will assume you have seen the first season of The Witcher. You've had a month. It's eight episodes. If you're going to like it or love it, you got to watch it now and come back. I'm going to assume that. I'm also going to assume that you know that next season is beginning where the sort of official series saga begins with the blood of elves there's a couple year time jump and so i will be talking about where the characters are at the beginning of next season i will not spoil anything um in fact it's mostly character building and interaction now that the team starts coming together at the beginning of next year uh and not plot stuff so i won't ruin anything about the books or whatever going forward but i will mention where the 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 characters are going to be um which is to say everything cute endearing but kind of dark and you know what i think the biggest failure of the writing over the course of the new trilogy was not making ray go dark convincingly and interestingly enough that's as you know what i wanted in the third movie they tried to make her sort of go dark it didn't work it wasn't interesting siri over the course of five books and three four five six tv seasons or whatever has that but she also has that mix of like cuteness and no filter and she says whatever she wants and she loves everyone but she also bristles quick easily and she doesn't like being told what to do and so she worships all the witchers and yes guys there's going to be lots of witchers we're starting when care more and with the witch trading it's carol and all his old witcher friends training siri to be a witcher it's going to be great and she's absolutely no filter they also jiggy girl can talk about women's issues and things like menstruation and and so forth between siri and tris much more adult uh, things that you know that you would get you know in, in, in pg-13 fair or, or whatever and blah 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 but anyway siri as a sort of ray ahsoka character which is just hinted at in the first season was reason number one reason number two was is, and let me throw it to you. This came up in a Rogue One um, 
uh, um, conversation back when we were doing the lore cast uh, about you revisiting Rogue One and it climbing higher on your list. I believe it's fourth at the moment, Rogue One. Yeah, I believe that's what was the last time I yeah. made the movies. And, you know, and one of the things that most fans share, but you and I also share, um, and why you and I understand, I might have Rogue One at the top, but you understand, as I do, that you can love the complexity and just, you know, feel goodness of the rebellion and love the philosophical Jedi stuff. Which is why, you know, let's, let us be clear, guys, of the five new movies, I don't care what you think of The Last Jedi, which is currently back up to an A- minus in my book, it is by far the most interesting and philosophical of the Jedi Force talk. And I know you and I love that stuff, even going back to Empire and the prequels, and because of the magic, as they say, force, chaos, power, magic, whatever, in The Witcher, it is not unrelated to, uh, in Manifestation... Um, to the Force in Star Wars. That was um, a- another uh, reason. So I'm sorry if I shoot the dog to p- praise the cat by giving a lot of praise to Richard at the half behalf of Rise of Skywalker. But like one of the things that I really enjoyed right away was like why I loved the Last Jedi is the first time I saw it within ten minutes I was already. Falling spoiler page dies and stop, i felt like stop you're gonna make me cry stop it i i felt like i was connecting with the Tell show it. in the Don't second episode or with a I'm, I'm not good at fantasies and names so it's going to be a lot of me saying this town this person because i'm not good with it but when when the kingdom falls it was like i was having a connection to this character and what was going on in screen and i was like it reminded me a lot of what i was missing from the rise of skywalker mm-hmm. that powerful emotion the the like the seriousness of it and you're like oh my this crap just got real and i'm invested i'm here for it it's solid and you really buy it it's not anything like this shallow stuff it, it felt like it was oh yes and, and you, you know. buy her grandmother queen kalanthi who's my mvp of the series immediately and then when we revisit kalanthi as we're going to get to as we go through the episodes and the in the hedgehog uh pavetta wedding insanity and then of course later in the season when the timelines come together and the timeline something i want to ask you about you had no problem following it but you're a deep knife nerd in video games, TV, and movies, and so you understand that stuff. I'm not quite sure why the average audience had so much trouble with with different timelines that were so clearly delineated. But anyways, once we get back to Queen Calanthe, who I absolutely love, it it, it justifies that feeling that you have, right, 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 Jaggy Girl? And the next reason I thought you were going to like The Witcher is because it is excellently cast from top to bottom, and I thought everyone nailed their roles no matter how much time they had in it. You know, the funny thing about it is, is I was watching it, and one of the first things I posted was, hey, he's cute, talking about the Richard, Mm -hmm. and then my co-host for I Rebel posted that it was Henry Cavalier, I think it's his last name. Cavill. Cavill. 
And I was like, oh my God, how did I not recognize it? And of course, uh, so I, I thought he blended in right away. The reason you didn't recognize him is because if you've played the Witcher 3 video game obsessively as many, I mean, look guys, let's be honest, this, this series of books has been great for decades, but it's mostly been read in Europe because they haven't had great translations in English. And it wasn't until the Witcher 3, um, a game by, uh, by a, also a Polish company, CD Projekt Red, was unanimously Game of the Year in 2015 as an action RPG um, with seemingly endless depth in connection to the storyline and the lore. Um, and and I, I, I think you've heard this, but guys, again, I'm not going to assume that you have read all the dozens and millions of reviews and interviews and watched all the stuff that I have, which is Henry Cavill's exactly like me. We played the Witcher video game in 2015 and it was like, holy shit, this is based on a series of books. And then we went to the books and was like, holy shit, these are the best fantasy books we've ever read, or at least in a long time. That's how Cavill came across it. That's how I did. But if you want, if you watch Geralt in the game, well, he has a bit more of an American accent. Uh, he, he, I mean, Henry Cavill, Jaggy Girl, is that character in some ways more than in the books. In the books, he gives very long moralistic speeches at times, um, which sort of break up the action, which in a book, as you know, you can do. But in the game, he's much more soft-spoken. And, uh, you know, um, might as well start talking about the characters. You know, Henry Cavill uh, w- w- was begging for this role. So, uh, Lauren Hissrick, who, who I worship. Uh, sorry, Kathleen Kennedy. I got another golden goddess now. Her name's Lauren Hissrick, the showrunner of... Uh, um, uh, of The Witcher, and as soon as she got the job two years ago from Netflix, from that moment on, according to Henry Cavill, he was annoying her and her agent and her people in Netflix constantly to play the role over and over and over again until they until they finally was like, okay, we'll give this guy a shot. Okay, it's Henry Cavill. Okay, he nails it. He's perfect. Whatever. Blah blah blah. So he absolutely loved this character. You know, he's as deep dive of a nerd. You know, I think John Boyega is maybe close. Uh, the Differences. As much as I love John Boyega, Henry Cavill is like a, a you know, highly um, uh, uh, like theatrical. Um, it, he just seems like more of a sort of a deep dive intellectual. Not to say John Boyega is not, but Cavill seems like a deep dive intellectual, and he can talk about any part of the books and or video games uh, w- with anybody else. Um, and so, uh, to loop back to what you were saying, it's not surprising you didn't realize he was super, he wasn't Superman, because Henry Cavill, in my opinion, has always been an underrated actor. I love his understated style, uh, cause I love understated cowboy, you know, uh, movies or, or, you know, modern westerns like Hell or High Water. And even guys who are normally very emotive, like Chris Pine, for example, who everyone agrees is a great actor, talks and emotes very little in a movie like Hell or High Water, and it makes it more effective as a modern cowboy, as a modern western. That's how they play the character in the game, and while the bo- the series Jangy Girl is based for sure on the books, um, uh, in terms of the material, the portrayal of Geralt is very much based on the, the version that many of us are familiar with in the game. And you could tell that he was studying it. And just as a side note, I'll throw it back to you about Henry Cavill as Geralt. Um, the guy who's voiced Geralt in the video games, and as you know, for these games, you know, the lead people have to voice hundreds or thousands of hours because of how long these RPGs are and how many choices you can make and how many things you can do, right? Um, and, and so the guy who's done thousands and thousands of hours of Geralt in the video games that helped make this all possible, um, uh, you know, 
posted recently that he absolutely loved this series. It was a little weird seeing and hearing someone else do it, but he was very honored with with, with the, the, the respect. And, and, and this is a theme, is that the respect between the show, the author, the books, the audiobooks, and the game, it, it's just, it's so, um, uh, it, it, it's very, very... Um, tangible um i i think in casting a guy who yes is devastatingly good looking in henry cavill let's be honest but also a guy who i've been hyping up even since man of steel and batman v superman which i don't particularly like but i've always defended cavill thought he was great love this casting and jake and i will say uh, even among the deep dive witcher nerds who sort of hate the tv show out of principle stupidly like some other fans that we've you know run across before even they have to admit he's amazing so tell me about before or after you learn who henry cavill was he was superman blah blah, blah. the character of Geralt and, and henry cavill's portrayal uh what what jumped out at you what did it happen immediately did it sort of grow on you over time uh, sort of walk us through that that journey well, the, 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 when I was watching the show, I was watching it from a blank slate. I knew nothing about the character. I knew nothing about the world. So I was learning as I was watching the show. And one of the things that stuck out to me was his, I don't want to say quietness, but how he is, he, 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 obviously because he is the witcher, he loses, I think, that empathy and he, I don't want to call him cold, but he, he's a little, it's attached the right word or whatever. That, that really stuck out to me because sometimes whenever you're watching these shows, these characters, they have emotions, they have feelings, they're very emotive. But you have this character who is the lead who doesn't have that. And I was really drawn to that. I, I, I found it really interesting because you're like, okay, who is this character? It's like the less you have, the more you have. Uh, what is it? Show don't t- show don't tell. Yes, type yep. thing. And that was his uh, one note. That was his only request to Lauren Hisrick, the director. Uh, actually, Jay Geekro along those lines really quickly was that. He, he thought they should play Geralt verbally a little bit more like Geralt's played in the game rather than the books in the sense of if they can get away with just a facial look rather than a long speech, they should do that. And that's why he's constantly saying fuck and nothing else or saying hmm and nothing else because it's more effective to him to play it on his face. Just following along with what you were saying. Go ahead. Which I think is absolutely amazing. I, I, I like that aspect because when I hear that word, I think it is a very real world uh-huh. word. Yeah. And when you put it in fantasy, it's this thing that I don't want to say is weird, but it, it, it puts a new unique spin on it because I'm, I, I don't consume a lot of fantasy. So I don't know if it's in, in any other kind of fantasy. But when, when I hear it, it's like, yeah, this is fantasy, but it's like here's this drop of real world that doesn't stick out as much as the, maybe the word cut, cut or any other type of word, word and stuff like that. And I like it. I, I think he uses it really well like every time he said it, it's like you're waiting for that moment for him to say it just to get a little pop yep it, it, it's like yep. I, I think it, it it's amazing and the fact that he says that so i, I don't i, I want to start from the beginning 
But you know that my favorite episode and episode and chapter in in the in the early books, but also the episode that it, if you really look at it and then you see going forward in terms of the theory prophecy saga, really gets going as the show is episode four with Queen Calanthe and and Pavetta and and, and Dandelion. I'm sorry, Jaskier and uh, and Geralt and the wedding and the hedgehog and the fight and the you know and and the crazy powers and blah blah blah. Uh, Dooney the Hedgehog episode because that's the episode where Siri is physically conceived and where the Siri prophecy is conceived accidentally by Geralt. He doesn't believe in destiny or this bullshit. He just wants to get out of that freak show and he throws out the law of surprise casually as he does in the book. He goes, okay, well, I guess law of surprise, you know, you can give me something surprising that comes to you and then whatever, blah, blah, blah. He thinks it's over and then immediately Pavetta throws up and they're all like oh my god she's pregnant and he just goes fuck and walks out and and not only is that like a kind of funny reaction to what suddenly has gone from a tense uh, to a beautiful and now an an uber tense scene um, he fucked up you know what I mean and it's a very human reaction I feel like at that moment to just say fuck and walk away as opposed to I want to say Game of Thrones which says fuck a thousand times per episode but it usually is in the form of fucking as in having sex and I every time I hear the word fucking having to do with sex it really makes me uncomfortable and shows that exploit that over and over and over again but it's like nope they they know they could use F-bombs in The Witcher and they saved it mostly for Geralt just looking around seeing that shit was going sideways and just going fuck (laughs) I think we know what your favorite curse word is Uh, but, but anyways well, it's 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 so it's so versatile. You can use it for for anything. No, I I I I know. I'm just giving you no, some friendly yep. crap. But, but but anyways, what yeah. I was gonna say is, is yeah. one of the things that I like about him is he's this character who, because he became the Witcher, he lost that sense of empathy. I would say, obviously, you know more about the character than I, than I am. I'm just shooting the breeze here, and even though he lacks this empathy and he seems like he doesn't care he still seems like he has the morals to do the right thing like his his sidekick his sidekick drives him nuts he says to his sidekick you drive me nuts but at the end of the day he still cares enough for him to save his life after he accidentally harms him with the genie so it it, it, it it's a very i i, I connect with that because sometimes in this world we can feel like a little disconnected from things but we do care even if we don't really have that empathy or or those feelings and and I really like that about the character because sometimes you have to have heroes who you can emotionally relate to Mm -hmm. and to have one elite that doesn't have that it it is refreshing and it shows that those two things morality caring and empathy Mm -hmm. uh, are not mutually exclusive Mm -hmm. that they can be separated you know what i'm saying like like you you can be the richer and have this lack of empathy but still at the end of the day do the right thing and save people lives and in that very first episode, JGG, the the wizard Strigobor, um, you know, says that to him uh, in sort of a sarcastic, demeaning way of like, oh, um, like something like, I couldn't have hurt your feelings because as we all know, witchers don't feel anything, right? You know, he's clearly playing with him. Um, uh, Geralt, let's just put it this way. <laughs> 
The the potions that they get that we're going to learn more about going forward uh, that turn them into witchers, it didn't take <laughs> completely with Geralt. And it partially didn't take on the emotional side, as we're going to see tonight, Geek Girl, is that immediately when he meets Yaskier, the bard, who he claims to hate, but clearly, you know, loves as a, as a sidekick, no matter what he says, he immediately falls for Yedifer. And then, of course, at, at the very end, but you can tell going forward, he immediately, as a dad figure, falls for Siri. We know that not, that heart is not made of stone. And in that first episode, Jedi Geek Girl, with, with Renfrey, um, who is great, um, by the way, a little side note, in, in, in The Last Wish, which the first half of the series is based on, uh, Jake, you know the third episode with the really, really scary undead bride uh, creature, the the ghost um, yes. with, with Triss, uh, the, yes. the, the Striga, as it's called? And that's actually yes. the first story in the books, and the second is the one with Renfrey and Strigobor. But for numerous, reason, numerous reasons, it made more sense to do the Strigobor-Renfrey thing first, because what happened? You have a very powerful wizard, and Strigobor, who looks like, you know, an evil Harry Potter, Harry Potter wizard, who you're sure is going to be a bad guy. And then you have this, you know, disturbed but extremely smart and powerful and sexy female character, Renfrey, who seems to be trying to chum up to him, and they have a thing. And oh, we've never, we're never going to see this with the, you know, with Geralt. It's complicated, sexy, powerful women. He cannot stay away from. He, he cannot resist. And so it seems like, you know, in that episode, you're like, oh, Renfrey's the good guy, and Strigobor's the bad guy, right? But it doesn't actually happen that way. And by the end, they're kicking him out of the town. They're calling him the Butcher of Blaviken. They're throwing stones at him. And I, I would throw back to you, Jack. You, go, you say you you said very um, uh, articulately that there's the appearance that you know his heart is stone or whatever. But I would ask you, from the evidence just from watching this season, it appears to me his heart is stone because of how horrible the people are that he has to deal with, as opposed to like some mutation that took away his emotions because he gets emotional early and often in the series. For for me, I look at it and I see a character who is on the surface is very emotionally detached and cold. However, at the end of the day, we know that he cares. We know that he loves. We know that even though he doesn't show emotion or feeling, he still has it. And for me, I really appreciate that because I think in today's world, we look too much at the surface of people's characters without trying to realize that even somebody who is like that uh, still can love and still have emotions and still care even if they don't show anything because unfortunately these days they don't go deep enough but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I really appreciate that because I feel like that is a character that we don't get a lot of these days. At least not so much a character that we are rooting for, if that makes any sense. So if you could cast your mind back and you're watching the first episode and you're going, okay, there's some cool magic stuff. He's hot. By the way, um, Lauren Hissrick, my, my uh, other golden goddess showrunner of the show, specifically talks about how much she loved Renfrey, and she thought, and I agree with this, it was important that they establish a semi-romantic but disturbed and ultimately a bad guy, even if those sympathetic female character early on, to contrast with Yennefer... Um, to show the, the lanes that he would go irrationally when it comes to women like that, um, but, but also his attraction to them and their attraction 
to him because you're a geek girl. One of the reason powerful women are attracted to Geralt is not just because he's hot. That's part of it. It's because he has an extremely high level of magic, even for a witcher. Um, and that's why we meet his mom at, at the very end of the series, which is not an hallucination. Uh, hallucination guys if you thought it was at least according to the book lore that is in fact his mother who's been following him around all these years to help him but she's so powerful she had to give him up to the witchers but he's actually way more in touch with sort of the higher magic that we'll get to of the women or uh, guys like Vilgefortz and Istrid and I can't wait to ask you about all these side characters Jedi Geek Girl Um, but um, without seeing a ton of magic from him uh, it, it, it's obvious that he, he's very powerful in the ways beyond just being a hot witcher. And, and they wanted to establish that early, but they also wanted to establish that we would have female bad guys that we would like, but necessarily would still be bad guys. Like, we didn't have to... Put it this way, Jaggy Curl. We wouldn't have to wait seven seasons to see the inevitable that Khaleesi, Daenerys Targaryen, is actually a bad guy. And people are shocked that, that Khaleesi turned out to be a bad guy. Sorry, guys. Watch the series. You can tell that that's happening. He here they want you know to show that that was immediately but also that you know he would establish connection with like that young girl in the village and stuff who would think he's not so bad and then but the big thing jay geek girl in that first episode to cast your mind back is that represents the show in that you have two sides playing them off one another he thinks he has the upper hand but they've already both owned him and Strigobor is going to win based on the chess moves and then he has to kill a lot of terrible guys who are still you know just innocent essentially but he has to murder a bunch of people in town and then is told to get out you know and never come back after killing Remfrey who then gives the prophecy about Syria whatever and so forth so when you're watching that episode and that goes on where you've got Strigobor and Renfrey throwing Geralt back and forth against each other and it turns out Strigobor wins just because Renfrey goes crazy he's forced to kill her and then forced to kill those guys they throw stones at him holler names at him and then he leaves never to come back what are you thinking at that point watching the series for the first time I was just trying to figure it all out because when it comes to fantasy I really gotta dive deep into the world and grow with it before I even understand it like this was the same thing I had with like Lord of the Rings especially like a lot of the terminology the names the, the species the creatures and stuff like that it's it's, uh, it's hard for me to like connect with them as maybe like a sci-fi planet that's just how I approach fantasy so I was still, I was still trying to like figure out like what is going on uh and stuff like that it's, it's a sense of discovery for me and i was sitting back and uh, t- taking it in uh, not drawing conclusions you know absorbing it and waiting till i obviously got to the end uh, to see where things really connected uh and i'm going to jump a little forward no. here but one of one of the things that i kept on saying when when i was watching the show it's like oh my god oh my god and like 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 the like i said before that the, the massacre that the, when the the castle fell yep. the queen committing suicide the yep. amount of the violence yep. the, the little girl went the little club club white lionish whatever she called like the lion cub of Centra. yeah yeah, she, she, she runs into these groups of people. You think she has sanctuary. And in the middle of the night, it, they, they get attacked. And the woman who is caring for her, you know, gets murdered. It's just, it's, you're like, oh, my God, this poor girl. 
you know so that's one of the things i kept on saying during the show and again to take another jab at rise of skywalker that's not something that i felt i i I was experiencing during rise of skywalker and that's one of the things Mm -hmm. i like in my entertainment it's like if you can make me go oh my god without it being like a shallow fan service you know simple thing then i think you're doing a good job and i think this show delivered that on multiple occasions so, you know, for us fantasy nerds out there, we talk about rules when it comes to stuff like magic and fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the hallmark of, of Gandalf and magic and uh, the Lord of the Rings is that it doesn't really happen a whole lot. Um, and, and it can be frustrating, not just if you're like a Harry Potter person coming to Lord of the Rings and you're like, where's the magic? But even for those of us who have been reading and consuming Tolkien our entire lives, it can be frustrating because you're like, we know Gandalf has crazy powers and he's been around forever, but he never uses magic or else it's like this, you know, he, he uses his area effect magic where he provides hope and, and, and you know, a, a, a buffs essentially for entire armies and he can cure people of, you know, of curses and blah 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 but you're waiting for like the flames and firebolts to come out but it, there's a consistency with Tolkien's magic elves can do certain things humans can do certain things you know the ancient Istari or whatever you know the, the wizards like Saruman and, and Gandalf certain things which I get as you know there's a reason why the good wizards like Gandalf resist magic um, and the ba- bad ones like Saruman embrace it you know there's a danger to it. Part of my problem with Harry Potter over the years, it always looks great, and the cast is amazing, and J.K. Rowling's a great writer, is just it's magic, magic, magic everywhere. I can't get my, my arms around um, the, the system. And, and the Star Wars connection is apt, because Lucas did the minimal amount of force powers and the minimal amount of lightsabers in the original trilogy, but then he went way over the top in both, in the prequels for someone like me and made me long for the more Tolkien-esque version of original uh, 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 OT and just, you know, again, the, the more you do magic, the more you kind of, kind of expose yourself. But I will say this, Jedi Geek Girl, and compared to the new trilogy, the prequel trilogy, uh, uh, take out the midichlorians and stuff for a second, but the, the sort of force powers and the, the sort of physicality of lightsaber battles whether you like them or not does make a kind of internal sense especially when you watch the clone wars and read the other literature it really makes sense the new series made no sense and i will take you back to john boyega as finn fighting fn 2199 that stupid dumb piece of shit motherfucker and when fn 2199 brought that fucking um uh, what is that thing called that he's got? The um, right, uh, riot baton. When he riot brings baton. that riot baton down and John Boyega brings the lightsaber down, that lightsaber should go straight through the riot baton and straight through FN2199 and slice him in half. And there should be no two ways about it. And I've been using this as an example leading up to the new Star Wars. I'm like, if JJ pulls an FN2199 again with this, you know what I mean? Or even some of the weird stuff that happens to Ray, like, oh, you're going to faint now, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, the fast and loose use of lightsabers in the forest. And, you know, indeed, it was problematic on so many levels. But I think, Jane Giggle, to go back to what I was saying, 
by the time Yennefer is throwing, you know, a five mile long fireball, releasing the chaos or the force or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, to take down the enemy army or Triss, God bless her, is using her nature magic, um, you know, and, and so forth. It feels to me like the, the, the um, and I want to get back to Siri and Kalinthi, by the way, and the burning and everything, because that stuck out to me the most, and that's the most important going forward. So I'm actually saving that. But in terms of the magic, I felt like. Let's put it this way. The amount of magic was looked great and was great in this series, but it never felt like it was haphazard. You know, like the characters always felt like they were building up to it and they were expanding. Uh, it's like X-Men, you know, the best X-Men comics and movies. You feel like they're expending enough energy, the right amount of energy and the right amount of powers. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I felt like the magic was very balanced. It felt like it was very grounded. And, and again, I'm just probably going to happen a lot. It, it, that's what the that what there yeah, that is what the problem was with the rise of Skywalker. Spoiler with Palpatine raising his hands and taking down a bunch of ships with force lightning. I'm I'm sorry, but that that's a video game. That is ri- ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. That's not grounded. We're with Star Wars and fantasy itself. Magic. It, it, it's grounded it's real it, it's it, it's not a video game it's not about you know how powerful you can it, do it and where it felt like in the richer all the magic even the powerful stuff it felt like it was very grounded it felt very controlled it felt like it was appropriate for the situation and was not there for show you know what i'm saying it, 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 it's not like you are going hunting for a deer and you're taking a gauntlet gun you know what i'm saying Absolutely. And if you remember, you know, the 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 Queen Calanthe stuff in episode four uh, w- with Geralt and um, and obviously uh, a Mausek, the druid, the advisor um, and her daughter Pavetta, who's B-series mom, e- even before Dooney, the hedgehog came in and Yaskier. Being funny. By the guy, by the way, guys, this is my one time per podcast. I'm gonna call Yaskier Dandelion because that's his name in the book and the games. Uh, Yaskier is his official name, and they never use it. And that very, for sure, going to tr- uh, move to Dandelion next season because it's just it sums up everything about him. Uh, so if if I call Yaskier Dandelion, that's what I'm talking about. Is Dandelion? So Dandelion's there being hilarious. Uh, brings Geralt to the ball where he's not even supposed to be in the first place, but everyone loves the White Wolf, and so Calanthe's thrilled to have him and thinks that, like everybody else, Jakey Girl, this is the constant theme, is that from the common folk to the, the nobles and the kings and the queens and the lords and the ladies and rich people and powerful wizards, they all think they can use Geralt uh, to their ends. Um, and, and again, that was why they had to do the first episode as they did it with Lars Mikkelsen as, as Strigobor um, and, and the a lovely young lady who played Renfrey was to specifically uh, start getting used to the theme of Geralt being used by multiple sides and him not even having a choice, him trying to tap out from situations um, and him can't being neutral, even if he wants to. Uh, But, uh, but you know, so they're, they're, they're the ball. But what's I don't know if you remember the Shaggy Girl, but but the the B storyline was the first time we had Yennefer looking like you know modern you know post surgery Yennefer, but also trying to ply her trade. Do you remember she was with that horrible uh, woman who had like hired her and the baby to take care of them, and they get attacked by the scorpion creature and, and the and the e- evil bad guy, and she's taking them through portals like, and she, they go to like a desert and they go to a beach. You know what I'm talking about 
Yes, 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 I do. So not only is there zero basis for any of that in the book in terms of that actual story, but even in terms of the series, there's zero point for any of that other than to set up Yennefer starting to explore her power and what it's like to try and actually be, you know, a professional sorceress or enchantress, for lack of a better word, but also to start setting up the magic, if that makes sense. And normally I don't like B storylines that have nothing to do with anything, but for me... in terms of a character and the magical development thing, I thought that was really cool. Plus, Jagged Girl, as you will see, in the games and the books, portals are a big, 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 big thing. Like, you know, I don't know whether, like, the big spells they're constantly using in Harry Potter or whatever, but, like, you know, the use of portals um, of various sizes and various distances and so forth by sorceresses and enchantresses in uh, The Witcher is sort of a big thing. I think that's where they wanted to go. Plus, the fact that as soon as the woman she was defending started insulting her, she immediately left the woman to die and essentially killed the baby. Let's be honest. Speaking of which, one of my favorite things about the show, one of the moments where I really got excited is is when they were explaining how magic works, they talked about how you cannot expel magic without taking it from a different source, and that automatically reminded me of my favorite piece of fiction a anime show called Full Metal Alchemist oh, Brotherhood. Oh, yes, bring it. I can't wait where, for this. Go ahead. Yep. Where, where the motto is, humankind cannot give anything without first giving something in return. To obtain something of equal value must be lost. This is alchemy's first law of equivalency, ex- equivalent exchange. In those days, we really believed that to be the world's only, one and only truth, which is obviously the introduction to Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and the original show. So as soon as they brought that up, I'm like, what? It, it, it really got me excited because I love Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and I'm sure that this rule where you cannot gain something without exchanging something of equal value to be lost is not something that is original to Full Metal Alchemist or The Witcher, I think, is probably another thing. But that really got me excited because I'm like, okay, I know this, you know. No, that's totally right on. And because, you know, guys, as being from Poland is specifically drawing from Polish and Germanic and sort of Central European uh, folk mystery geek girl. Um, like, let's put it this way. So, so you know how Disney takes all these stories like Rapunzel and so forth and make them very sweet rated G movies, but then you go back and read the ori- original Rapunzel and you're like, oh my God, this is terrifying. <laughs> or Beauty and the Beast, yeah. you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Brotherhood Grimm story. The, the Grimm tells. stories, exactly. Yep. So this guy's drawing from a similar source. Now, it's more in Poland and Czechoslovakia. It's not quite Germanic, um, but they are very, very dark sources as, uh, that he's drawing from. And so that's why a lot of the monsters aren't just ogres and trolls. They're undead brides, you know, covered in their placenta and so forth. And often, you know, if a man, let's, let's say if a man murders his wife and she becomes an evil spirit and Geralt says, well, the only way we're going to solve this is by you, you know, sacrificing yourself you know, like it, 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 there's really, you know, it, it's really just I can hack through 
uh, an evil spirit, you know, without a sacrifice of, of the people involved. But it also takes a sacrifice out of the Witcher. And, and that's, you know, what he's never appreciated for. And that is what Yaskier, a.k.a. Dandelion, appreciates about him. Yaskier doesn't appreciate that he's just big and manly and strong and good-looking. I'm sure he does at some level. But he says, you know, there's that great line where, you know, where they're first walking together at, at, um, before they get captured by the Go creature. He's like, you smell like death and, and destiny. And Carol just goes, it's onion, <laughs> you know, but like he, he can tell how much is on the shoulder of this character. And I think it works great. I want to ask you about this. The fact that he says less, but plays more on his face, I think is appropriate for the weight on his shoulder, even before the Siri prophecy happens, which we're about to get to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I really appreciate about the show is you're talking about it and it makes me appreciate how it really feels like a European fantasy. Yeah. Well, I don't necessarily get the feeling of that with Lord of the Rings. You know what I'm saying? Lord of the Rings is specifically based on uh, uh, old English um slash scandinavian and you know icelandic and like northern germanic um uh a mythology so they're they're, geographically they're like touching butts a little bit uh, in germany but the, the tolkien one is way more like let's put it this way all the elven languages and stuff that he invents, including the language of Mordor, are basically forms of Finnish or Icelandic. It's more Scandinavian. Um, although I should point out, uh, Jai Geek Girl, that as, as you c- could see, uh, Ciri's people and her cousins, the Skelligas, who are at the wedding, and, and you know her grandfather and so forth, Iced, are basically Vikings. They're like Viking Celts or whatever. Um, what? and, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, well, what I'm saying is, and I don't know if this is just my bias, just because of like my experience with it and experiencing, but it, it feels like a very, even even though it like clearly wasn't, but it feels like a lot more of a a uh, Western fantasy compared to Witcher, which seems a lot more European. Yes. Even though, as you said, they they are touching butts. Interesting choice of words there. Uh, where, <laughs> Geographically where touching Rings, butts. Yeah. Yeah, where, where, where Lord of the Rings feels like very, it feels a lot more Western, and I don't know if that's just because of the historicness of Lord of the Rings and how interwoven it has been in American culture. Yes. But, but it feels like a lot more of a Western fantasy than, yes. than the Witcher which is really refreshing uh, when it comes to the Witcher because it feels like that is something that we don't get a lot of, or at least in my case, where I don't consume a lot of fantasy. Yes, yes, yes. And and I guess what I'm trying to get to is if you take Germany and go west to France um, and then north to Scandinavia and England, both linguistically, that's where all of English comes from, and culturally. So, for example, Thor, the character of Thor and the Thor mythology, the Scandinavian mythology, the movie, whatever you want to talk about, Norse mythology, and the reason it's so present in our culture is, first of all, we have tons of Scandinavians, uh, Scandinavian Americans, but also because of what you said, because through Tolkien and people who wrote before him and after them, after him, it became a part of our culture. Now, the Brothers Grimm is why the, the comparison is that geographically, that's closer to 
um, and sort of thematically darkly more closer to what, what uh, Andrei Sapkowski, the, the writer of The Witcher, is drawing from. But but to, to you, you are you already said it, but I'm just going to take it further, which is uh, which is you know. Poland and Russia and Hungary and, and Romania and Eastern Europe and the Balkans are way different. It may be Europe, but are way different than people think. And so Sapkowski is like the Nilfgaardians, for example, the big baddies um, in the first season um, in, the, in, the, in the black armor, you know, that's burning everything down. They're basically supposed to be from like Yugoslavia or Hungary or Romania or something. So we're dealing with a much different part of Europe. It's not, you know, Italy and Spain, which we always see. And it's not England and Scandinavia, which we always see. I just want to hell yeah what you are saying you're feeling that this is from a central European different thing than we've seen is very intentionally the case by Sapkowski and it makes it way more interesting not just because it's different but because of the way he exploits uh, those differences to make it feel to circle back to what you were saying less sort of um, wrote western the way Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings does yeah absolutely and Another thing that I really enjoyed about the show is before I even started, you told me about how they had two storylines, like one in the past, one in the story. One of the things I really enjoyed was trying to figure out like which one was which. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't until the, the convergence happened, I had them reversed. <laughs> I, I thought that... Sure. Uh, I thought what was the present or what was whatever what was the past and so it was really nice so I really appreciate that and now that I know which one is which I, I want to go back and rewatch the show um, but I don't want to do it too quickly sure. um, you know I, I want to appreciate it um, but, 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 I, but I do want to revisit it because now I know okay. uh, like what's going on uh, that I didn't have before. Okay. All right. So let's jump into specifics. Favorite characters, big, small, otherwise go. Who are the characters that jumped out at you? It can be, you know, any, any size and in any order you want. Um, let's start with a not minor character, but let's start not with the big four or five. Who is like a, a character like Kalinthi or, T- or Tasaya or, or, or Mausak or, um, or Istrid, her former lover? Like who's one of those like middling awesome characters that, that you really enjoy during the show? So, again, because I'm bad with names, I'm just going to skip over the names. But the queen, I, I really Calanthe, appreciate yeah, the queen. Yeah, she's the best. Yes. Yeah, she's the best. Yeah, I, yeah. I really appreciate her. And I, her, death, her death is so powerful because yeah. you really feel for her. And she's, we see it twice. Queen. They kick yeah. us in the balls twice. We see her do it once, and then we see it again so that Geralt can see her die. It's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it, it really... It, it, it's, you feel you feel how do I put this? You feel like so help helpless, and you really feel for her. And I really appreciate you know because she's 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 a strong queen warrior. Yes. And then I, this is one of those areas where I have to go back and watch it because you you she's introduced and her her she she knows she gets news that the forces are coming they're going to attack and she, you you know what is about to happen but if you're new to it you don't know what's about to happen and you don't understand that i didn't understand that this is the turn, it's 
feels like this is a big turning point in the story. Yes. Um, it is like this, like this is this this is the Battle of Yavin, if that makes any sense. Uh huh. Like it, it feels like this is where the, the convergence happens in this world. Uh, and it's you more didn't like feel the Battle like of it. Hoth, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, 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 what I'm talking about, I'm talking about this major sure. historic event that takes place. I, I to put it in like Lord of the Rings, it feels like the 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 the. The end of the Third Age War, if that makes any sense, uh-huh. it's like this big convergence event. But anyways, we're watching it, going into it, knowing that you can appreciate it and you can look at the signs. Where at the time I, I, I didn't get it, so. So we visit Clint Clinty in the first Clinty in the first. And by the way, I, I said this throughout my podcast, Jaggy Girl. I mean, outside of. The Siri, Yennefer, Triss, Geralt, uh, Yaskier, um, five some who remain sort of the five some throughout the series in a lot of ways. Uh, they keep introducing more characters, especially bad guys Vilgefortz. We'll get back to him. Um, of all the sort of veteran actors and actresses, she clearly had the most important part, and they nailed it with the best act- actress. Uh, oh, sorry, the best best actor. The most important part that wasn't in the first five names of IMDb was clearly King Queen Calanthe, and they nailed it with the best a- actor they could find. I thought she absolutely destroyed it. And as you said, they started by Calanthe in the present, where she's dying. Her husband just got murdered, and she has to send Siri away after she. But how great was it? We learned the true story. We think at the beginning we're like, "Oh, this poor queen. Where's Geralt of Rivia?" And then you get to the end, and you're like, "Wow." Wow, she literally just tried to kill Geralt twice just before this happened, and now as she's dying, she's going, fuck, I fucked up. Can we still get Geralt to help Ciri, right? I mean, it, what what a change that is. It is, absolutely. And, and like I said, you told me that, the, that there's going to be separate timelines here. If you weren't paying attention, if you did not know that, you probably would have got been a little bit confused. Like, I knew it was a separate timeline. I just didn't know which one was which. Uh, so, so, so that was nice to make sure, like, okay, this is timeline A, this is timeline B. I know it, and I know that they aren't intertwining until uh, later. So that, that, that was definitely good, good to know, and it was able... It was easy for me to follow it, if that makes any sense. And then until I got the timeline correct and I flipped them... So this is an example of one of the things I love about The Witcher in general, books, books, the whole property, which is you can see certain things coming, but because of the character interactions and the dialogue and so forth, it's so interesting, which is even if you're watching for the first time, you watch that first episode and... You see Calanthe having that exchange with Siri, but then it's not until the seventh episode, uh, second from the last, Jay Girl, where the time loops converge finally, and Geralt's coming to the castle, and Calanthe tries twice to kill him because she thinks Siri, even though the Nilf Guardians are about to completely burn down and murder everything in her world, she thinks Siri's safer with her. But then, as soon as she goes out into battle and they get wrecked, and her husband gets killed, and she gets almost killed, now all of a sudden she's like, okay, I want Geralt. But it 
in the first episode, it just seems like, oh, this is the hero story. Yeah, we got to find Geralt of Rivia. But then you realize that, like, her and Geralt missed multiple opportunities to already have Ciri out of the picture, and they fucked up, right? These supposedly powerful, responsible adults, Geralt the Witcher and Queen Calanthe, had multiple opportunities to do what was best for Ciri, which was get her the fuck out of town under the guidance of Geralt. And, 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 you know, you just have to buy, if you haven't read the full books, the powerfulness of the hug at the end, because it's so unlikely that Geralt and Ciri would have both survived all the shit that went on between all those events, if that made sense. Oh, absolutely. And I would like to, you could get into another one of my favorite things. And, and, and obviously, you know what I'm going to get into. And then I'll backtrack to my favorite character, main character, but it, it's, it's one of your favorites, and that is the Hedgehog Wedding. Yes. I, I really felt like <laughs> I actually felt another jab at the, the Rise of Skywalker. I, I actually felt there was romance, and, and I actually felt it. And I, I thought it was really powerfully done, and, and you really felt for the characters. Like, you you told me about the hedgehog, uh, about, I didn't, like, understand the context or whatever, but you actually really felt for these characters, and you actually felt the relationship between them was very honest, and I think that episode was the first time when I understand which timeline was which, because obviously this takes place before, you know, sh- the girl is born uh, and then I think there was this episode or another episode where you see the characters in a painting um, that you saw before that there was an age thing um, but yeah so I, I really appreciate that I really thought it was really powerful and I, I, th- I think I remember you bringing it up and I, I, did, I didn't I think I dismissed it I didn't and then I got to it I'm like okay yeah that you you were pretty spot on about this Honestly, that that extended romance scene where they're in their magical bubble, everyone's getting thrown back from the magic, but they're in their own world. There's flying and they're spinning around, and the Witcher music theme is blasting as they have this magical moment together, which eventually leads to his transformation. Honestly, and I like the new Beauty and the Beast. That out Beauty and the Beast, Beauty and the Beast. Honestly. I mean, that was so much cooler. And again, having this sort of... I, I, you know, I refer to the powers that Pavetta, Ciri's mom, and Ciri have, at least so far, as Dark Phoenix powers. Because they're so powerful, but they're so unpredictable and uncontrollable. So that little Dark Phoenix display of both love and hate at the same time, but they're in their own world. Her and the Hedgehog, she's in love again. This is like Istrid. Can I bring in another side character, the amazing um, young uh, light skin color black eye Istrid wizard who specifically is in love with ugly Yennefer and as soon as Yennefer gets beautiful but her heart turns ugly is immediately unattracted to her and tells it to her to her face and he says it breaks my heart but you chose power and this is not what I fell in love with I don't care how beautiful you look and walks away is another thing you don't expect to get in a series like this I I think Um, and you know, I think it helped that the Dooney, the Hedgehog, um, who, by the way, Jay Geek Girl, I, this is one of those I have to shut my mouth because th- there's so much more going on with Dooney and Pavetta between now and future stuff, so I'm just going to shut my face. Um, but we know it's series dead, if nothing else. Now, interestingly, Jay Geek Girl, in the book, 
Here they do the straight Beauty and the Beast thing where she kisses him and he turns to a man or whatever. In the book, it's actually more interesting because in the book, Dooney the Hedgehog is not a hedgehog between a midnight and sunrise. And that's when they fall in love and they supposedly, I guess, have sex and have their trysts or whatever, or when he's still a man. He's a man between midnight and, and sunrise. And then he turns back to the hedgehog. And in the book, it, this magic goes on so long and the conversation goes on so long that it turns to sunrise and the sun starts coming in the windows and only Mousak, the druid, and then looks at Geralt, realizes that he's no longer a hedgehog, that he's turned to a man. It's something you can only pull off in a book, because on, on, on TV, you'd be like, okay, he's obviously not a, a hedgehog anymore. But in the book, it's sort of a subtle transformation where people are like, wait, the curse is broken. Um, you know, it's it's past uh, sunrise, and, and he's he's still a man or whatever, and blah, blah, blah. But just like in the book, uh, I, 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 if you thought it was interesting that Geralt immediately, rather than taking credit, credited Calanthe with being the one, even though she tried to kill the, the hedgehog numerous times, including a knife to the gut, um, Geralt credited her with being the one to break the spell. I thought it was really interesting. I, I have to say that I, I really do appreciate the, the queen. Is, she is such a interesting character in a sense where she's like very stubborn she has tendencies she has these things that you don't like in a person whatever but it's still very interesting and i and i like that dynamic that 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 relationship because it, it feels like she's very human she feels like she's very stubborn she knows what she, she makes mistakes you know what i'm saying and, but but she she owns up to it too it, it felt like it was very relatable it didn't feel like there was this horrible person or this person no. that was perfect but no. was human nope you know what i'm saying she's by far better than all the other royals as as we'll say um but uh you know but, but she's a warrior i like her you know yeah, but but I want you the listeners to know that while there are some structural changes in sort of the order of events and the length of events in episode four, which in the book is called A Question of Price. I forget what the episode four is called uh, on Netflix, but the Dooney the Hedgehog episode with Pavetta and, and Calanthe and, and Geralt and so forth, it's called A Question of Price. And actually, Jedi Geek Girl, in the book, it's Dooney the Hedgehog who asks Geralt what, how he can thank him. Um, you know, the queen gives him like a, 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 a emerald crown jewel or something. It feels like it's paid off. And, uh, and in the book, uh, 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 Dooney, who's now the prince or whatever, uh, you know, the prince to be, uh, says, no, that's not enough. And then Geralt pulls the love surprise thing. Now, in the, in the book, uh, <laughs> they don't immediately have Pavetta throw up at that moment because, again, in the book, you don't need to have those happenstance things happen right away. But in order for the watcher, but also Geralt to realize that his little joke about the law of surprise, ha 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 ha, might have just changed the entire course of history for everybody at that moment, I, I thought was pretty effective. And that's the fuck and, and the walk out at that point. But I just wanted to tell you, Jagie Girl, that part of the reason that's my favorite chapter and my favorite uh, episode, but, and Clanthy's my favorite in the season, is because she's that complicated in the book. 
but you have 150 pages to do it, or 100 pages. So this woman was able to channel it with way less time. But in the book, it's like, you're an honorable man, the Witcher. I appreciate you being here. And then the next second, she's like, if you don't do what I say, I'll have you strung up out front and the crows will eat your body in the morning. (laughs) Like, she's very bipolar also in the book, as she is here. And and, uh, by the way, in that episode, Jaggy Girl, didn't you love how it was supposed to be a wedding for the beautiful young blonde Pavetta, but all the old middle-aged men, the Viking men from Skellige, were hitting on Kalanthi the whole time, and they were really hitting on the queen? You know what I mean? Like, it's supposed to be a wedding thing, you know, to, to marry the young princess, but, but all the old uh, Viking warriors, uh, and she ends up with Iced, you know, who becomes the grand, adoptive grandfather of, of, of Ciri. Iced is one of those Viking warriors, and he He's literally, as in the book, been hitting on her for years. Like, that's who... I I love that about it, because that's so much more realistic, and it's more interesting. And she's totally a hottie for a middle-aged woman, too, you know? Like, it's just... It's great all around. As far as my favorite character is, you know which one I'm going to go with. No, I don't. So, again, this is interesting for me, because I watched a show going into it, knowing very little about it. Obviously, when I was watching about it, you were going off talking about it. I'm like, shh, shh. But anyways, uh, my, my, it, was really, it was really interesting because I knew nothing about Yennefer. When I was watching the show, and she's introduced in the second episode, watching her journey, I thought we were witnessing the birth of a villain. Oh, so seeing her journey after she transformed and you see her relationship with the witcher and those layers dropped into peace i'm like okay so maybe this is not what i first thought it was i thought it was very interesting because her origin her origin speaks to me of that of one who is spit upon who seeks power who gains Mm -hmm. power and is corrupted through that power but obviously that is not again i don't i haven't read the books or anything i'm like okay so maybe this is not what i first thought it was uh so i yeah yennefer is my favorite character obviously so i I appreciate Mm -hmm. that journey and i'm interested about her and obviously i I don't know what Mm -hmm. happened after episode eight uh but i thought it was hashtag team siri but that's okay she's still got a ways to go yeah, well, you you also got to remember. I'm I'm kind of starting from the beginning. Yes. Per se. So Yennefer and, and so the so the two books that this is, first season is based on, which were written first, but in, in hindsight are kind of prequels because the sort of main series saga, you know, Lord of the Rings saga starts next season with Blood of Elves. But these two first two books, The Last Wish and The Sword of Destiny. Yennefer, we don't meet Jedi Geek Girl. The first time we meet Yennefer as readers is episode five with the genie. And she's even more horrible than she is there. But we don't have the whole Yennefer backstory. Now, the Yennefer backstory is based heavily on lore that was set upon later, hinted at, or even talked about specifically. But they made the decision that they wanted to give the full origin story treatment to Yennefer because 
if you did just the Yennefer from the books that this season is based on Jedi Geek Girl, she is pretty horrifyingly bad. Now she will be, she would still become quite a good guy starting next season. Um, you know, almost immediately because again, the effect of Siri and everyone wanting to help and take care of her, but they decided to not tone back her dislikability at times. And that's why they had Istrid, you know, you know, ream her out and, you know, and, and people criticize her and so forth, but to give her a backstory so that by the time we got to the GD and the three wishes and Geralt and her and the last wish and so forth, you know, we had sympathy for her. But, J.G. Girl, two things about Yennefer, can't, I want to ask you specifics, did not come to pass. Again, talking about the positivity around this property, at least right now. Two things I thought would, uh, w- at least two things w- would come to pass that was going to be very ugly. One, that in the book, like in the game, Yennefer has ivory skin and is a Northern European black-haired woman. And with an Indian woman, I thought the racism would be there immediately. That turned out not to be the case. But the other one, among the vast majority of, of watchers and viewers and stuff, and, and even just online social media and so forth, the whole, like, Rose Tico thing never happened. At least not yet. Uh, the other one, though, with that, it, all the negative, um, uh, uh, you know, connotations to strong women, oh, she's shrewish, she's shrill, she's evil, she's manipulative, like, everything that men, you know... Claim, uh, I'm sorry, everything that men, you know, hate about women, which is really about themselves, and they don't want to say, but they're feeling it, and they put on other things, like, all this male hatred of her being, you know, this shrill, manipulative bitch, honestly, has come more from some female watchers that I know than, than men. Men generally think Yennefer is awesome. Again, many of us have read the books and or played the games, and we know how much development there is right around the corner. But you had to, and I say this about Yaskier too, like, I, I personally was most nervous about Dandelion, uh, a.k.a. Yaskier, because he's so fucking arrogant and talkative and even annoying in the books, but you love him. And I was wondering how that was going to translate into the series, and smartly, they made him way, way, way like younger and more naive and just good-hearted right from the beginning, even if Geralt claims that he's annoying, uh, Geralt claims that he's annoying, you're still kind of enjoying him and he's still funny, so th- they nailed uh, Yaskier and, and, or Dandelion, but I have to say, the few people that I, I, I've talked to who are not familiar with this property and really don't like Yennefer and needed reassurance that she was going to get better are actually women, which I see as a huge success, you know, and, and, and on all the levels I just said, that none of those bad scenarios came to be that I thought to be. I love Yennefer, but again, I came to her much later, because the video game takes place even way later than the books, and her and Geralt are still trying to figure out, spoiler alert, many years later, what they mean to each other, but they're much better people, and they're acting out of better things, but I thought, Joy Geek Girl, it was important that it was not a love fest. It's like, it's like Avengers 1. You had to have the Avengers at each other's throats for most of the first Avengers, and I thought it was important that Geralt uh, Yennefer, and at least to some people, Yaskier, not be immediately lovable in, in, in order
order to complicate the first season, even though, spoiler alert, by the time next season starts, they've all taken a big maturity jump, series become the center of their world, and, you know, they're acting like adults. But for this first season, J.G. Girl, I I thought that was important. So talk to me about Yennefer, because I love Yennefer, you know that. There are moments in this season where she's very cold, she's very mean, she's very manipulative, as you said, she's not this perfect being, that's not why I like her, and one of the things I appreciate about the show, now that I'm thinking about it, is a lot of the characters just seem like a very layered, they're very human, they have these traits that you appreciate and respect, but they have this despicable side and I think it does a better job of that compared to say Game of Thrones where I've only watched like the first five seasons where you pretty much hate everybody or you have the little boy who you like or up until that point in time um What's your name? Everybody was despicable where with the Witcher it feels like you had that but you had that done a lot better and then again, throwing more shade at Rise of Skywalker, uh, it's not these overly simplistic good, bad. Uh, and yeah, you have bad and the good and good and the bad, but it is so well done in The Witcher compared to, like, say, The Rise of Skywalker. That I, I really appreciate that. And if you look at the characters that I really like, not that I didn't like The Lion Cup or The, the Witcher himself, that's that's just not the point, but the characters who I'm really drawn to are those characters who have that mix that human, you know, because we're human, we're not perfect. Yep. You know, and then we're not all bad either, unless you're like, well, you know. Yep. So, look. I call it the Siri saga. It's really the Siri and Geralt saga. But, Jaggy Girl, as we talked about I feel strongly about, and, you know, again, guys, if you've listened to me before, if not, I've been talking about this for months leading up to it. First of all, I've been talking for months leading up to this, that everyone, including, and especially Henry Cavill, said that Anya Chalotra as Yennefer was going to steal the screen constantly, often, and as far as I'm concerned, J.G. Curl, if there's any justice in these stupid awards, they should be throwing her all of the awards, um, but we'll get back to that. Uh, that's just the actress... But as we've talked about, I thought that I I wanted Yennefer to be the lead of the first season, and that's indeed what happened. They made the right call in making Yennefer the lead, even though her whole backstory and, spoiler alert, not spoiler alert, and if you guys don't know, the Battle of Sodden, the final episodes with the giant big battle, we know all of that is canon and lore. It just wasn't written in that particular way in the book. Uh, but we know that, that that all happened, and for them to spend almost the entire last episode not with Siri, you know, finally settling down with the family or Geralt almost dying from an hallucination, but mostly with the the enchantresses standing up against the Nilf Guardians, defending the common folk, which they almost never do, and, and we see the first big turn of Yennefer towards the good guys. We know all that happened, but it wasn't done exactly that way in the book, but we all wanted it. Like, us literalists who love the books, we that's the thing we wanted them to change, was to focus on it. And Jay Geekroll, you know, again, you having not seen it, maybe it's not as apparent, but Yennefer, while she comes in and out in very dramatic ways in those first early books that informed this season, 
Geralt and uh, 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 and Yaskier, aka Dandelion, are by far the lead characters, and then even the final couple uh, chapters, Sword of Destiny, with Siri. You know, at that point, Yennefer again is sort of coming in and out. This was totally the right call to make her the lead. And so why don't we start early on, which was when you first came across, quote-unquote, ugly uh, Yennefer, Hunchback Yennefer, which is total canon in lore from the books, and, and Geralt knows that about her, which they didn't sell well enough, in my opinion, was that when they when they bond, they have like a, a mind meld during the genie madness, and Geralt sees into her past in the books and sees Hunchback Yennefer, and like Istrid, that's who he falls in love with. Yes, she's beautiful, and she smells like lilac and gooseberries, but... But, uh, it, you know, he falls in love with the good-hearted hunchback um, and, 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 who, who tra- you know, teleports herself in, into sort of Mage Academy. So what was your early experience of her in those early episodes when she was hunchback? And you're like, what's she even doing here? Like, where's this leading? Like, what, what were you thinking about that character? I'm really curious. I did not know because she was the character that was introduced in the second episode. Obviously, she was not in the first episode. So I was like, okay, it's like a third timeline. Like, what is going on? And then obviously, it didn't take long for her to go and get trained in magic. And I was like, okay, I was just there for for the journey. I didn't think much of it. I guess most of me was looking at the practical side of it. I was like, I really appreciate the makeup job on that. And you know it has to be that's acting that's how i knew i sometimes i need a performance like elizabeth olsen in ultron where i'm like okay this woman's gonna be a star just the screenshots of her playing hunchback ugly yennefer knowing Mm -hmm. how gorgeous she was i'm like i i'm already sold on this character go ahead yeah because it's it's not just prosthetics you know that the body language and i knew that there was like i said i thought i was witnessing the birth of a villain and to me it makes sense because we we've had that story before where where you had a ugly person who gains power and beauty and it corrupts their soul and to a to extent we got a little bit of that but I, I thought that was the story we were going with i'm like okay so this is the big she's the big bad like like i said i did not know anything about oh, you thought it, she was so. the bad guy oh that's awesome yeah yeah, well, 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 because like I said, this is something that we have seen before in myth. You no, know, I know, not- but I, you know, I know zero of the spoilers because I've read all the books and everything a million times. So there's there's no real major spoiler. So when I hear uh, people who are experiencing it for the first time, it, it, I, I'm just getting excited vicariously through you for your experience. Because, again, I haven't had these experiences in a while. Yeah, and then then it, then then like then like I said, it didn't take me long to figure out. Okay, there's more to her than you know. She's not going to be you know like this big bad villain. There, there's layers there. There's there's a sense of humanity there. There's a point where after she got her power, she she misses what she gives up, which is a very human thing, and that is to be a mother. Uh, it just it's very relatable and it's a lot deeper and like I said that's something that I really appreciate and I do want to backtrack here for a second to the battle and I'm thinking about the battle and I don't think that is a battle that I've seen before if that makes any sense. Oh, uh, the Battle because, of Sodom, the final battle. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, man. Because, oh, yeah. Be- oh. Be- mm. Because, mm. because if because 
Because if you think about it in Star Wars terms, you've always had these Jedi lead the clone troopers, but it was against the battle droids. It wasn't against like another force user type thing, at least in visual canon. That's not something that we've really seen. In in Lord of the Rings, what I have seen of it, you you have these army of men and elves and you you have these forces clash and I'm I'm thinking of Full Metal Alchemist, Full Metal Full Metal Alchemist, and I'm trying to think of like a battle of Alchemist, and it seems like how that battle was portrayed is not something that you see often, and I really appreciate it. Like, it wasn't this huge spectacular, but it wasn't about, here, I'm going to throw a spell like Harry Potter or whatever. Uh, so, it was it was very interesting, and I appreciate it, and it, it wasn't this show yep. of action or magic it was a very well paced i thought it was very unique and i and i really appreciate that so you know me well enough you know what is my favorite thing in these movies is superhero team-up movies and as i've often said the best star wars movies because of how epic there are they are in all you know whether it's the rogue one crew and everyone the empire has or in the original trilogy or in the prequels these huge teams you know the best star wars movies feel like and are structured like avengers movies giant superhero team up movies and the battle of sodden was a giant superhero team up with all the witches uh, uh, sorry the witches the the enchantresses and we even had yennefer communicating telepathically with all them and she'd be like okay who's next it's like throwing thor's hammer around i was like getting so geeked i'm like oh man all the enchantresses are working together tris is going to use her nature magic uh tris marigold guys Tris is as important as any of these characters going forward, which is why they gave her so much screen time, because Tris, uh, with her nature magic and her great heart, is like the one white wizard. Like, all the male sorceresses are generally bad guys. A lot of the women are on the fence, to say the least. Tris Marigold is like the one good guy. Using the nature magic was awesome with the superhero team-up stuff. But Jay Geek Girl, as I talked about, with the Star Wars connection... You know, uh, they, they translate the, the their form magic as force, but also power and chaos. And of course, there's this ongoing conversation with Tasaya, her you know her her teacher, her rectress, um, who's another fantastic um, uh, veteran uh, actress in in, in the show um, is Tasaya, and God bless, thank God she's there for the big battle, which is according to lore. Um, and uh, she's constantly telling Yennefer to bottle up the chaos, right? And this, how similar is this to like everyone telling Ray to bottle up the chaos or Anakin to bottle up the chaos, right? It never works. It never works. And Ahsoka's the only one that can break out of it and realize that it's bullshit, that like we shouldn't bottle up emotion. We should not bottle up our humanity. Um, it makes us weaker. It makes us more vulnerable and so forth. And, but what does Tasaya say? You know, the moment of need to, to, to Yennefer, she's like, remember all that? I, I've been telling you about bottling up the chaos. Like maybe this time let the chaos out a little bit. Let, let out the, let out the beast. As yeah. I, I comment, it's like the Battle of New York when, you know, when, when, uh, Black Widow says to Hulk, we could use a little worse. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. You know what, Jaggy Girl? That's Yennefer's secret. Like the Hulk, she's always angry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's real life applications there where, where 
it's good to have people to talk to, to, to rent to, if you're feeling something to talk to, uh, because you don't want to hold that in. You don't want to explode and stuff like that. And it's very important to have friends, but to bring it back to, uh, the richer, I got very much Helm's Deep vibes yes. with yes. that battle. They even exploded with- themselves by accident. It was extremely Helm's Deep, 100%. Yep, it, it, so yeah. I was sitting here and thinking that and appreciate that because that is one of those moments that everybody loves, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but I prefer Helm, the Battle of Helm's Deep compared to the final battle in Return of the King, but maybe that's just me. Um, but I, I mean, most Two Towers people, is my favorite of this Lord of the Rings movie, so make your own conclusions. I agree with you. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I think Fellowship is my my favorite of the three but i haven't seen those movies in like oh god uh 15 years so i 15 dozen years i I need to watch them so no no i jackie girl i specifically bring this up in my podcast which is you know there's that funny image of the orc with the olympic torch committing suicide to blow the bomb under Helm's Deep and Two Towers. Yep. That's by far my favorite. Why is it the best? Because it's the biggest practical battle of any of the three movies at the end. I mean, Return of the King is glorious with Minas Tirith and the, uh, the, the, you know, the flying Nazgul, but it's so obvious when it's going from practical to CGI even at the time. Now, it does have the Oliphants versus the Rohirrim, which is amazing. Um, nevertheless, it's Anyways, clear... Yeah, it's clear... It, it, yeah. It, it's the longest of the two battles, is it not? Helm Deep? If that, is that the longest one? We're talking... Well, unless, you do the ex- unless you do the sort of extended version of, of Return of the King. But yes, I mean, literally in New Zealand, they found a giant rock quarry that had been mined, and, and they built that entire keep. And so, it, you know, it just feels so tactile because, you know, the orcs climbing up the wall are... They don't have the entire wall, but they are guys in orc costumes coming up the wall. You know, and they would do 22-hour days with the makeup, but they could only film at night half the time. I mean, you, sh- you know, you hear Viggo Mortensen and them talk about... It's like a six- to eight-month commitment just to do the final... So if there's five years to make all of the Lord of the Rings, at least six months of it was just the final battle of Helm's Deep. I completely agree with you. By the way, the earwig thing in, in this battle at Sodden, where uh, Franchilla, the, the, the bl- black African sorceress for the bad guys, who's awesome in the books as a bad guy, Franchilla, um, for Nelfgaard, her sorceress sort of Trojan horse of those like Wrath of Khan style earwigs to control the people to blow up their own thing or whatever. I I don't know if there's any canonical support for that, like literally whatsoever. Um, But as I said in my commentary, Jedi Geek Girl, it worked aesthetically, as you pointed out, like Helm's Deep. But on top of that, it led to Yennefer going from power seven to like power 12 out of anger, and so it actually backfired on Franchella and the bad guys, despite all the death. By the way, did, speaking of superheroes, which, let's be honest, Jaggy Girl, superheroes as we know them are based on fantasy tro- characters that go back of really, like King Arthur, you know, and, and, uh, um, and Achilles, and Odysseus, and, and, you know, and so forth, right? I mean, m- mythology and fantasy with the original superheroes, 
But you know, you know, in, in this one before the explosion happens, Yennefer uh, uh, doesn't realize that her sister has been taken over, and she stabs Yennefer in the chest with a uh, in the stomach with an arrow. Yes. And so they then the explosion happens. They fall off the side. Her friend, who had been taken over by the earwig thingy, uh, just flops to her death. Yennefer, slow motion, does fall straight into the like Captain America, Wonder Woman, half knee superhero pose. I couldn't believe it when I rewatched it, but she totally does the the, the superhero landing thing uh, after that. And I was like, oh man, this can't get any better than that. I mean, this is my, this is totally my kind of superhero. And then, but as I was saying, Tasai is the one who's like unleashed the chaos. Like, you know, Hulk. We could use a little worse. Like, unleash the chaos you know and just and just blow them away or, or whatever and I, I i think what you know wasn't totally sold because they didn't have time it wasn't really the purpose and we'll hear more about the aftermath next year is that that like five mile wide fireball uh that bloody crying yennefer unleashes at the end harms the bad guys so badly it sets their war effort back like multiple years and so the good guys didn't win per se, but they definitely did not lose. And it's all because of Yennefer and it buys them enough time to get Siri the fuck out of the war zone and for the good guys to start planning counterattacks and, and stuff like that. And so that wasn't just a, I am Yennefer, hear me roar. This was like strategically like really like taking down the bad guys as much as would have been possible from, from a single person. Um, and, and I thought that was cool. Sorry, go ahead. Well, one of the things, and I, I said this before that I really appreciate about the battle is it wasn't this battle of, of pure action, but it also wasn't this battle that was one-sided. It felt like it was that there was real loss. Like I was watching it, and it was loss after loss, and you're like, oh, it, it, this is going bad it seems like if you you have this victory but then you have this loss and it was just back and forth it felt like it, it it didn't get lost in this oh we're going to throw a whole bunch of ships you know and then we're going to throw another whole bunch of ships yeah. with death star layers it, it felt like it was a lot more personal mm. and it felt like very grounded and you you felt every loss you're like oh, oh god are, are they going to be able to pull this both do this you know what i'm saying because you you have loss after loss and it's like oh oh my god you know so yeah yeah and if you have only a cursory experience with fantasy in general jaggy girl as you know normally the wizards and the enchantresses don't come down from their high towers to defend the common folk in a hopeless battle and and so even if you were someone who disliked Yennefer or was turned off by her personality up to this point, her willing to sacrifice for totally random civilians, if you know even the tiniest bit about... I mean, even the elves don't want to help the humans in Tolkien, right? I mean, that's a big theme of Tolkien, is, is the elves can help... And that didn't happen in the original Helm's Deep, by the way. The elves don't come to Helm's Deep to help the humans in the books. They don't come at all. It was a great piece in the movie that I'm totally in support of, but in the books, the elves do not help the humans whatsoever during the War of the Ring. And and, and that's important. And that's the same with the Enchantresses. And so, guys, if you have a problem with Yennefer's sort of immature, bitchy personality, uh, all I will say is... 
she's going to be in mom mode with Siri much quicker than you think. Although Triss, uh, just to tease it, because Blood of Elves is almost all character stuff, not plot stuff. It'll be the first half of the season. Triss Jedi Geek Girl, Triss Marigold, is actually going to be the first one to try and train Siri because they trust her more because she's more of a straight-up good guy. She's more mature. She's more motherly. She's more earthly. And so very early on, they bring her to care more in because Siri's turning into a woman and having cycles and stuff, and the men don't know what to do, especially with her crazy powers. By the way, Jedi Girl, can we move to Siri really quick? Can we move to Siri? So you're thinking, oh my god, this is Princess in the Wood, right? This Princess in the Wood. Everyone's trying to exploit her. She's naive. She has no idea what she's doing. This is all blonde-haired Disney princess. And then at the end of episode seven, all of these horrible poor boys start attacking her in what looks like an assault, if not a rape. And what do we get? What do we get? She all of a sudden goes into a trance they start stepping away verily i say unto you the era of the sword and the axe is nigh the era of the wolf's blizzard the time of the white chill and the white light is nigh the time of madness and the time of contempt boom explosion screaming straight to black and we know what happens to those those boys um so, Cirilla, Siri, the, the lion cub of Sintra, the swallow herself, the ugly one, the beautiful one. She's got tons of nicknames, which we're still yet to get. What was your impression of, of Siri in this whole madness? She is a enigma for me. She's a character who I'm looking forward to diving into because even I know she is set up to be this important character. And we've talked about how she is important to the story and where she goes and I try to tune it out and I try to ignore it not because I'm not listening to you but because I want to experience that for myself and and like I said I'm very curious it's still all a bit of a mystery to me even with you explaining to it I'm still tuning it out just just because Uh, but I'm very curious to learn more about her to find out more about her like where her powers come from, why does she has this power, what is she going to use her power for, power for, all this stuff that I'm really looking forward to. I And like I said, even I know as somebody who is watching the show for the first time and the first time being introduced to these characters that she set up to be a very important part. But I also know that the first season, you know, we, we, we get the focus on Yennefer, we get the focus on the Witcher, and we she's obviously an important part, but she's not she wasn't where my main focus was if that makes any sense which i think is is, is yes. a great is a, is a great thing to do yes. and then i think that is another thing that star wars could have done a little bit with, with the sequel trilogy yes absolutely absolutely and again imagine yeah. imagine if the force awakens was like the first season so i was just gonna Witcher. say right no this is exactly what it is the whole i bypassed the compressor and the smuggler? I mean, all all of the, like, manic, cute, over-the-top, but super smart, and quirky Ray stuff that we love from Episode 7 is about to explode with Siri starting at next season. Exactly. So, yeah. But, 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 but that's why I do... If, if, no, go ahead. 
But but I'm saying if if yeah. episode seven, if Ray was a little bit more like the Lion Club club, I think it would have like fit a little bit better yes. instead of pushing yeah. it to the forefront. Yes. Uh, so yeah, let me for you Star Wars fans out there, let me just put it thusly, and, and, and this isn't a spoiler because you know. <laughs> What we we almost start the next season with most of the team together, but it doesn't last long. And, and as in all these epics, they're getting separated together, separated together. But Jiggy Girl, if you combine the way Ray uh, interacted with Han, Episode Seven, and if you combine with Luke in Episode Eight, and then you combine what we hoped was going to happen with Leia in Episode Nine with Ray, if you combine those, that is Triss. Uh, um, uh, um, Yennefer and Geralt as her sort of three parentals, uh, if that makes sense. Yes, it's two women and one man, you know, and actually Geralt in some way, I mean, she worships Geralt, as you'll see. She wants to be the best witcher of all the witches, you know, I mean, she wants to, she worships him, uh, but she's still a woman and she's still a princess. And next season starts with Triss coming and she's horrified because she's covered in welts and bruises and cuts from all her fighting and they're not treating her, you know, her, her, her menstruation issues or her other womanly issues whatsoever. And so Triss is, uh, reams out the witchers uh who are all big characters themselves Geralt has the least personality of all the witchers that would be another fun thing for people uh is that but the younger and older witchers have way more personality and they all immediately love Siri um but Siri also has very dark stuff coming forward as well um and she's not you know me i make fun of the people who call uh uh ray a mary sue but siri is really even less of a mary sue in that she never really has things under control um and that's part of why they're trying to teach her discipline at the beginning of the next series um as a witcher or whatever and that's why it was really important uh jay girl in the first episode before we thought things were going to shit you know they're at the ball and her and her grandmother sitting there and her grandfather. And by the way, you notice how her grandfather is happily letting a grandmother continue ruling. He has no interest, you know, iced. He mm-hmm. just has a crush on her, as we say. So Kalinthi's ruling and, and the, her and her grandpa are talking about dice or whatever. And Siri's being very funny. And I've been saying to people, I know it doesn't seem like it because she seems like scared Disney princess, but Siri is extremely funny and has zero filter going forward, uh, and even way less than Ray. She just says everything that comes to mind. And so they had to cast an actor that would be brash and funny and cocky as well as scared. And so we're going to see that for sure more going forward. So, okay, we love Yennefer. We love Siri. We love Geralt. Uh, oh, talk about... Um, Jaskier, aka Dandelion. Hold on, but before I do, I do want to say yes. that I, I felt like a lot of my oh my gosh was all the stuff the little lion club was put through. Mm. Yeah, it was like oh my god, you poor thing. You, you just want to pick it up. Books. And, the dryads wanna- are actually really uh, threatening in the books. Um, yeah. You, you you just want to pick her up and hold her and be like, I yes. know you. No, no, that's exactly right. And that's what they needed to do because the characters all end up. I mean, that's the thing. Y- Yennefer, Yennefer matures uh, almost immediately next season upon uh, um, 
That's why, okay, so in the books, Jay Geek Girl, the final hug at the end, can I tell you one thing about the books that's not in the show that I'm fine with, but I think people need to know? Go for it. So in the books, Jedi Geek Girl, Geralt and Siri have actually met and spent time together before the very end. In the books, they meet in Brokilon Forest with the Dryads, and they travel together for some time before they realize who each other is. Now, in the books, Siri's running away from a marriage that she has no interest in. Her city hasn't been burned yet. She's just running away because Siri's constantly running away, as we'll see going forward. God damn it, Siri. She's constantly running away. So she runs away from home. She doesn't want this royal marriage. She meets Geralt in Brokilon Woods. They finally realize who each other are, but then Geralt sends her away and says, no, I, I don't want to be a part of this. You need Need to go back home to, to, and Siri's the one to say that you're making a mistake by sending me away and then like two weeks later Sintra burns to the ground and Geralt goes oh my god what have I done so in the books it's actually more on Geralt than on Queen Calanthe uh, in the books Geralt is way more at fault because he has Siri in front of him he literally has Siri and can take her to care more and where the witchers are from into safety and he screws it up and so it makes that final hug even more emotional in the book and in the books, Jedi Geek Girl, it's a bit longer because they hug, but then she pushes him away and starts beating on his chest. And, and Siri just kept, keeps saying to him, say you're my destiny. Say you're my destiny. Say it. I want to hear you say it. Say you're my destiny. You're like, don't fuck up again. Uh, now, in the, in the show, the, you know, it, it's the hug and then who's Yennefer because they're, they're the, 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 they're the triumvirate. They're the, you know, uh, the, the, the trinity or whatever. So who's Yennefer? And so Yennefer is going to be very important. Um, but, but nevertheless, it, it's not going to take very long for Yennefer to go into mom mode uh, 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 upon meeting her or whatever. But it was a decision they had to make in the show with eight episodes. They couldn't figure out how to have Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri do all the things they had to do individually and have that meeting of Geralt meeting Siri and then leaving and then meeting her again. Uh, I'd be curious what you think about that n- now that I just mentioned that that's how it goes in the book. I don't know. I, obviously, I have not read the books. I still think I prefer the way it is, but I also like the way that it was in the books. I, I don't know. I can, can I just say I like both? In some ways, it makes the, the hug in the show more powerful because they don't never they never have to let's put it this way the show they never needed to have met each other before to have a passionate hug in some ways makes it more powerful does that make sense uh, yeah yeah i i also feel like the way it was done in the show is powerful and and now no, that's that what i'm saying I know- i'm saying it makes it more powerful because in, in the books, they have met and hung out before, and so it's like hugging a friend who you've seen before. Here, you've never seen each other, but you know that you're a destiny and that you love each other even before you do. I, I'm saying in this show, I, I'm making the argument it's more powerful. No, I, I can totally agree with you. It's also this climax, and, and like I said, this is another reason why I would like to go back and rewatch the show, because there was a lot of clues dropped and in the early part about this being the witch's destiny, about the like the girl in the woods. I think the first time that hint is dropped, I missed it, but it's not the last it's time it's dropped. It's in the very first episode, which even I yep. missed, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and now that you... 
like no like i did not know that is why it was going per se at at, at least at first it felt like a more emotional impactful climax that you know that is where it's going where if you did not know where it's going you might miss the first time but but uh, yeah like i said i also think it's really part that it's interesting because books are a lot differently and it might work really good in a book but how it's done on film has to be changed because how it is done and how you interpret it is different so i I like both but i i'm I'm with you and i agree that it feels like it's a lot more powerful the way that they did it in the show so what among this fantasy does something or some things uh better or differently than other fantasy that you've watched like what um so like just just to, to parse it it could be like, oh, this reminds me of X, Lord of the Rings, or Y, Game of Thrones, blah, 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 but does it better? Or it could just be something completely different. Like, what what about this fantasy scenario was appealing for you to the point where, where you binge this show pretty... I mean, let's put this way, Jagged Girl. You binge this show faster than most friends of mine who are normally nerds for this stuff, or even Witcher fans... Or, you know, just general TV binge watchers. You watch this pretty quickly, as I've advised everyone to do, because it's only eight episodes. And so I know things blend together, but there must be certain things that stand out. We've talked about the characters. We can keep talking about the characters. But what about this fantasy scenario and portrayal really jumped out at you? Well, to be fair, I didn't really binge it as quickly as maybe I should have, just because... I got sidetracked and I was still trying to like work through my issues with Star Wars and it was a lot of pause and go and pause and go. No, so you did it fast. It was like- you did it fast. I had to, um, is blackmail the right word? I had to threaten a Bizzlecast contributor, not Sammy. I had to threaten a Bizzlecast contributor uh, that I would not do further podcasts with this person until they watched the show to get them to watch the show. So you watched it very, very quickly. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was slow. But anyways, one of the things, and I said this before early in the podcast, is one of the things I really appreciated is the humanity of the characters, mm. uh, the, the, the complexity of the characters. Again, like I said, that's one of the reasons why I love The Last Jedi and I love how Luke is done. Luke, Luke is this very... He's this hero, but he's also this very despicable person at least in the first act and then i felt like a lot of the characters in the witcher had that where a lot of the other fantasy you know game of thrones it feel, felt like you had these despicable people without the likable aspects where lord of the rings has been 15 years but what it doesn't have that despicable realness of it uh that, that the witcher has but Used to you have that heroicness to mm. it, or you have people who are evil. To do bring it into Star Wars, it, it's like it, it. That's why I like uh, Ahsoka so much. She's yeah, she's a hero, but she's not this pure Jedi witch. It 
did what they got wrong with Rey, uh, in my opinion, about the, the rise of Skywalker. She's not supposed to be this pure beacon of light. She's, yep. it, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Yep. The, the, the Jedi are not supposed to be this heroic thing, the, this white light. It, 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 and, and it loses me. And that's one of the reasons why I love Kylo Ren is, yes, Kylo Ren is a villain, but the way he is established in 7 and 8 is he has this conflict. He has this pull to the light. Yep. And another reason why I love Anakin uh, and Vader, he, he has this pull. So you have that blend. If you have this, this detached hero, villain, despicableness, this heroicness, and you don't have this blend, it makes the characters kind of bland because that's not real life. You are not perfect and you're not this horrible being. You're a bit of both. And, and that's where, and I'm sorry I'm ranting here, I, I think I latched on to Eastern mythology, the yin and the yang, instead mm-hmm. of the 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 the, the duality culture of things mm-hmm. because th- when I look at life it, it's not clear that clear cut and and I really bring it back to the richer I think that's why I really appreciate it is you had these characters who were not clear cut but were also interesting enough that uh, you you could really buy into them and you could find them very interesting if that makes any sense sorry for rambling no please. Continue rambling. A um, couple things. One, uh, something I'm excited for people to see, but uh, always nervous, is Andrzej Sapkowski, the writer, having been born in Poland right after the war, who's horrified by his country's involvement and just situation in World War II and the Holocaust and so forth. He's a very progressive writer. Um, and uh, Jay Gicker, one of the many things I was telling people before this all happened is, look, I know you think this is an old Polish guy, but this is actually an extremely feminist work in terms of how it treats women, how it treats men. The smartest are all the women. The most powerful are all the women. The men who we like, like Geralt, are big softies who have big, you know, chocolate marshmallow hearts in the middle when it comes to the women in his life and the girls in his life. It's very Battlestar Galactica, I think, in terms of the the, the flipping of, 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 you know, and the women are sort of the powerful hard asses um and uh you know unlike in game of thrones where they you know threaten or tease a rape and then they show it to you for titillating purposes (laughs) in the witcher the bad guys will uh, occasionally give a long speech about what they're gonna do to the women but giant geek girl just like in the best dark star wars you know the ass kicking from the good guys is coming you know what i mean it's like ray under mind control it's like you know it's coming you know it's coming um and so you know that's that's the thing people are either gonna like or not like but you know the themes of elves dwarves magic users hobbits halflings changelings and so forth being massacred uh words like genocide and ethnic cleansing is going to happen in future seasons and so what's going on in this world uh you know in bombing third world countries but also immigration issues like it's going to come up in this series just because this guy has been writing about it as a guy from poland and so just like the female empowerment is so strong it'll be interesting to see if people roll with the sort of um 
you know, liberal empowerment of immigrants and people who are different. Like, let's just put it this way. Andrew Sapkowski, the writer, thinks that hating people who are different than us and specifically hating people because they're different than us is probably a bad idea and we shouldn't do it. I'll just say that. Um, And that will come across in future seasons and people will just have to deal with it one way or the other. I don't think it's going to be a problem considering uh, how that's going uh, so far. Um, but, uh, but, but the other thing is that our good guys are going to do some bad stuff, but it, it, the the Kylo Ren thing is never really gonna, is never threatened to even happen. Um, and the bad guy, oh, here's what I want to ask you, Vilgaforts. So it's I've been talking and teasing up Vilgaforts a ton online in my podcast. A really good-looking light-skinned black guy with the mustache who fights with the good guys. And, you know, in the final two episodes, he's the guy that has the sword that keeps reappearing in his scabbard, you know, as he's fighting the, the Nilfgaardian, as he's fighting the guy. He says, what do you want, blah, blah, blah. Yep, and then, yep. And then at the very end, after he's lost, he gets up and just murders a, a good guy for pleasure. And I said, guys, I've been warning you not to... <laughs> Wait, hold on. That's it. You there? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry. I was like, I've, yeah, been, I've, I've been warning you guys to keep an eye on Vilgaforts. He's, he's very complicated. So there are a lot of Jackie Girl mustache twirling kind of bad guys, but they're way more interesting than Game of Thrones, and we spend way less time with them in Game of Thrones. So it builds their mystery, it builds their power, and my theory is even in the darkest properties, we'd rather still be spending most of our time with Ciri or Triss Marigold rather than the bad guys. It builds the bad guys' mystique, and there's not even a central bad guy who we spend a ton of time with in season one of The Witcher, which is unprecedented. What are your thoughts about villainy and this whole thing? It was very interesting to me, just because, like I said, this was a new experience for me. I still am discovering it. It felt like this was a season doing a lot of setup. You had this force that invades the the where the little lion cup comes from, and you have this force that is mid mid-ter- it has a military and it wants to grow in power and invading and it's and the threat is threatening the the the, the culture. It, it's very interesting to me. It feels like it's this very distant thing uh, that, that I'm still learning about. And and like I said, this is still all new to me per se, and I still need to go back and watch it. But it felt like this season was a lot of uh, the, the first part of the Lord of the Rings, where it feels like the threat is fall off yeah you mm-hmm. have this mm-hmm. at climax at the end mm-hmm. but it, it still feels like this thing that we are on the verge of exploring uh, and like i said like i said it, it feels very fellowship to me mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yes as i've explained to people this first season it's like it's kind of the hobbit and or the beginning of fellowship of the ring and now everything yep. going forward is the rest of the lord of the rings essentially yep um, yep. Now, in the books, Jedi Geek Girl, again, we spend entire chapters with other good guys and or bad guys. Because of the television format, 
they're going to do what they did with Siri and Yennefer, which is jump between scenes and not just, we're not going to have a whole, even though I would love a whole Vilgefortz episode or a whole Emperor of Nilfgaard episode or a whole, you know, Triss Marigold episode. We might have a whole Triss Marigold episode. We're still going to jump between the characters, but in the books, we spend extended periods of time with Yaskier, a.k.a. Dandelion, and Triss Marigold, who... Okay, so you know, JGG, uh, the, uh, the, um, during the theme music title at the beginning, they do that crazy thing with the metal twisting, and then it, it, in each episode, it like kind of twists into a different thing. It leads to The Witcher with the yep yep the symb- and then and in the last one they all came together it all I came together correctly. and what were yep. the three symbols the three symbols were the wolf who's Geralt the white wolf the the swallow the bird who's Siri and the flower lilac and gooseberries who's Yennefer and so if you weren't paying attention guys and you don't think that Lauren Hisrick and her people don't understand what's going on they get this series completely by spending that much time doing the cool metal twisting thing into the flower the bird and the wolf which are our three main characters but Jaggy Girl their entire chapters from the perspective of Tristan Marigold Dandelion and some of the bad guys and even some good guys that we haven't met yet and and uh, this season gives me great hope that, that we're going to get more of that which I think is really cool because I don't really like the TV show format where it's like we're most with the main good guy and now we're with the bad guy for a bit and now with the good guy right i'd rather see it with multiple characters good and bad thoughts yeah i, I can't say i disagree and and with the dandelion thing i we were going to dive into him and i would like to say i i he's like so annoying but i i also loved him in a sense because it's like it's like that heel in wrestling who you absolutely yeah. hate, but they do such a good job that you cannot help but like them. And he feels like he has to, he feels like this pure soul yeah. that is, is so innocent and he doesn't know what he's doing. You're like, oh, you're poor, th- you, 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 you innocent thing, you, you're, you're so pure, you don't know how annoying you are, but you, I can't stop but like you. Yeah, and he's way more annoying and less likable in the books. And so they toned him way down. And part of the way they made him, quote-unquote, annoying was by Geralt saying that he was annoying. But when you look at the facts, you're like, actually, this is the one guy trying to keep Geralt's head straight and have some humanity, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. between all the evil bad guys and Yennefer and dragons, he doesn't have much exposure to just normal humanity. And Jay Geekro, as I talked about extensively before the show, you know... uh, (laughs) Dandelion, sorry, I'm going to call him Dandelion, yes, gear. Dandelion becomes the most fo- uh, uh, famous poet in the land. It should be said, by the way, that they have a version of Oxford called Oxenfurt, where they do study the sciences and astronomy and stuff. He also graduated at the top of his class there, even though his professors and friends hate him. Uh, he, so he's super smart, but he's the greatest bard, but he gets famous because of songs like Toss a Coin to Your Witcher in the books, and Geralt gets famous because of it, and their fame, as we see in the series, can really help them, but also really hinder them. And that's a thing that continues throughout the series is like Geralt will constantly be yelling at at Dandelion telling him to shut his mouth and shut his face over and over again but Dandelion will always express his opinion 
And my biggest complaint, I think, Jedi Geek Girl, of any of the episodes, if you care, is the, the first, the second episode, which is the first one where they're together, and, and they have their first misadventure, and the wolf, and the, and the goat creature captures them, and then Geralt has to negotiate with the elves who hate people. That's all very true to the book. In the book, there's a long philosophical discussion where Geralt's like, I understand why you hate people and I hate people for the same reason. But the bottom line is you're being stupid and you're getting your own people killed because you're not dealing with the reality. And it's all about colonialism and imperialism. Again, political themes. He's like, we may not. He's like, look, like he says in the show, he says, look, I'm not a human. You may hate me and you might hate humans. Don't mistake me for a human. We might not like humans, but like at the end of the third age in Lord of the Rings, men are taking over the earth. And so he says, you can either keep fighting on the fringes and starving, or you can go find a new place to live or find a new place to deal with people. He's completely practical, uh, is Geralt. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also results in way more comedy, but also way more discussion between him and Dandelion. But it doesn't even matter, though, because by the end of that episode, already Dandelion's composing Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, and he's making Geralt famous, and they're making each other famous, one to the other. And in the book, everywhere Geralt goes, everybody knows who the White Wolf, the Butcher of Blavican, you know, Geralt of Rivia, everybody knows who he is, for better or worse, because of Dandelion making him famous. So that, you know, so he can make himself famous. I mean, again, it's another thing in a fantasy epic, right? You have to admit, this sort of bard as rock star isn't something we normally get. So anyway, you're talking here, and I got a lot of thoughts going through my head. But I have to say, number one, Netflix needed this after... Orange is the New Black ending, all the Marvel shows ending. I think them getting The Witcher is something that they need. Uh, another thing I would like to say is, is I cannot help while you're talking, thinking about comparisons to The Mandalorian. Oh, it God. seems like you went there. It you seems there. like you did it. I did. I. It, it, it seems like this show and the Mandalorian are totally opposite. The, and the by opposite, you, you mean this show is a brilliantly executed, professionally made show, whereas the Mandalorian is a half-assed piece of shit at times. I have a lot. That was to all say. the bizzle. That was all the bizzle. Not Jedi Geek Girl. That was all the bizzle. N- number one, n- number one, you, you have Baby Yoda with the Mandalorian just taking pop culture by storm. I have Siri. Uh, by storm. I have Siri. It- Siri's my Baby Yoda. Anyway, anyways, you, you, you have Baby Yoda and you, you have uh, memes, you have people love him and he's in every episode to the point where some people think it's like annoying and then you have Toss a Coin to Your Witcher which if my memory serves me correctly is in one episode yeah, it's, one, it's one the thing. end of so okay no, so, so, so but anyways yeah. the, the, the point I'm trying to make yes. is is you have baby Yoda you have tossed a coin to your Richard yes. both which takes pop culture by storm one is shoved down like I love love baby yoda but you, you also have him being exposed in every single 
episode and moments where maybe it might, might not call for it, where toss a coin to your witcher is not in every episode and it's not constantly being shoved down your throat, even even if you like it, if that makes any sense. I, I really appreciate that and I think that has a lot of value. Not that Baby Yoda in that sense is a bad thing, but there is such a thing it has over exposure and yes he is a main character of the show but there are times when maybe you are over embracing the cuteness of it where the catchiness of toss a coin to your witcher you don't need to keep on playing that to have it make an impact in pop culture if that makes any sense whereas baby yoda is cute even with zero exposure or um interaction with the property like my mom who do who by the way my mom loves the star wars movies she loves seeing the star wars movies with me you know my mom and my dad agree with me that you know we love rogue one the best um with the original trilogy nevertheless they love all of them they love force awakens they love last jedi uh even my mom liked you know had a really good time at um, Rise of Skywalker, so, you know, g- God bless her, um, and I don't know if I'll ever get her to watch The Witcher, but the fact that she loves Baby Yoda, but she has zero interest in, you know, <laughs> involving herself or uh, getting involved with where Baby Yoda comes from, I think is very indicative about how superficial it is. It may be cute, and it may be truly cute, but the, to understand to, uh, Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, it's possible you're just saying, I'm a music fan, but you do, it, it forces you through a song to get engaged with what's going on. Does that make sense? It, it, again, this isn't, sh- of all the shade I want to throw at Star Wars and Mandalorian, this isn't one of them. It's just my mom has no interest in watching a show like The Mandalorian, but she thinks Baby Yoda is adorable. I, I just think that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say inherently that Baby Yoda is a bad thing. I'm just trying no, to say No, neither of us are. Different. Neither of us are. Nope, we love Baby Yoda. We're not trying to say that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just talking about the stark difference between something that you have a brief appearance to to something that is constantly the focus of the show, which brings me to number two. Uh, I think that the difference between The Witcher and The Mandalorian is The Witcher seems like it is a lot more progressively. And I'm not, not talking political. I'm talking about in the sense that it seems like you are invested in these characters. You and It seems like it's telling, obviously it's based on a book and, and you have games and stuff like that. But it's, uh, to me, it feels like it's telling a new story where The Mandalorian it seems like it's telling a story that is based around fan service and around something that has been told over and over again. You just take Boba Fett and IG-88 out and you just rename them. Obviously, there's more to it than just, you know, reskins. But it, it feels like the Mandalorian is based more in what Star Wars fans know and what they think that they love. Mm-hmm. Shade. Uh, and where, where the Witcher seems like it is telling a story that is... It, it has a lot more substance. Yeah. Where, and that, 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 that doesn't mean the Mandalorian is a bad thing uh, because, you know, obviously there are people who love it, but when it comes to the story that I love, you know, there's a reason why, you know, I, I enjoy The Last Jedi over The, the Rise of Skywalker. There has to be more substance there for me. Uh, and that's why I am able to watch The Witcher and take away a lot more things than I am 
uh, with The Mandalorian because for me, as a fan, as a consumer of entertainment, you you have to give more to me. You know what I'm saying? You can't be cute and give me all the fan service because... I'm sorry, but if you do that, you're just going to be forgettable, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think, for me, the fact that Yennefer is just a fucking bitch with a fucking firebrand up her ass is exactly what we need with female characters, Uh, you know? It's like, again, spoiler alert, Yennefer is going to become super good guy very soon, and so it's not a spoiler because it's happening almost immediately next season, and so we can embrace and, and, you know, and love the fact that we have a female character you know, who just uh, mind controls a bunch of people to have an orgy in front of her to entertain her because she's stuck in a tower and she's got nothing better to do with herself and she's just being a raging piece of shit but has a great heart deep down. You know what I mean? Like, I've always said, Jaggy Girl, until we have a truly good three-dimensional horrible female bad guy in Star Wars, we won't have true equality because we've never had that once. I, I agree 100%. And, and uh, obviously, you know, who's to say where they would have gone? But, you know, that's, that's one of the problems with Lucasfilm is I did the, the college, you know, that they, they originally was going to have Snoke be a woman and they changed it. God, know, what a disaster. A Talk about going back in the time machine. If Lucasfilm could go back in the time machine and not have Snoke, I think they would probably take that. <laughs> But it just it seems it seems like they had all these things and then and they did they yeah that the, the coward uh which brings me to my third point yes. uh the richer is to me fresh and unique and feels like the story is telling risk even though it is based on a book that has been around. For audiences who aren't new to the material, it, it's, ha- it's fresh, it's new, it's risk, it's taking risk, it's something you haven't seen before, where with the Mandalorian, because it takes place in the Star Wars universe, everybody, most people have seen, especially mm-hmm. people who are watching the Mandalorian, has seen Star Wars, mm-hmm. and it's very safe, mm-hmm. and, and instead of trying to do something new and fresh even if you're doing even if you're telling a story in a universe that is so well known and 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 i think that is something that in hollywood in general is lacking it's something that is nice and i think that's why a lot of people are drawn to the the witcher and i do think that there is a little bit of um i don't think netflix and disney is going to be public about it, but I do think there's a rivalry between the two shows uh, because I Netflix do think is not that- worried. I-, I said this months ago. I said Netflix and Amazon Prime are not worried about Disney Plus in terms of original no. programming, and we're seeing it right here. Go ahead. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that they're worried. I'm just saying that it seems like there's a little rivalry oh, okay. because it seems like it seems like. Um, the second season of both shows are going to drop about the same time again. Mm. If you know this, mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm I'm sure Netflix just sitting there with a big smile on their face because they know that they have they have the better show, they know they have the better substance, and I they have the better numbers. But but that doesn't mean that fans cannot you know uh, think that that there's some sort of rivalry that even if there might not be one or there might be one 
it just seems like that it's just very interesting that you had these two shows drop at the same time, roughly, and you have the second season the both shows drop at the same time. I, I think that uh, Netflix obviously might not be worried, but Netflix must know that hey, we got the better thing. We're, you know, I, I don't think that the timing is coincidence, but I also don't think that Netflix is worried where they have to count the program. If that I mean, makes any look, sense. Look, Mandalorian, if nothing else, Jagate Girl, we finally got female and people of color directors, right? I mean, if nothing yep. else, we finally got female and people of color directors. And you know what? The best episode by far of The Mandalorian, in my opinion, is episode three, which is supposed to be the turning point episode where he goes into dad mode when it comes to uh, Baby Yoda, um, and directed by Deborah Chow, who's doing the fucking Obi-Wan series of JJ fame, who I fucking love because I love Jessica Jones, as you know. But then we get the cheesy Bryce Dallas Howard episode after that, defending the village, blah, 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 blah. Not really her fault, but at least they're doing it. Jaggy Girl, side note, for me, the worst written episodes of The Mandalorian Season 1, sorry to say it, fanboys, with the Dave Filoni episodes. I thought the Dave Filoni episodes from the first one to the fifth or sixth or whatever it was were, were awful. Um, so, so I do like the fourth episode. I also feel like why like i said this is the story is just beginning in the witcher and i'm sure obviously it's going to do a better job but i feel like when the man lion decides that he's going to fully commit to taking care of the child that he doesn't embrace that father role yeah you have the cute scene at the end of season three but it feels like he is very detached from the child. And I think, I'm, I, I hate to bring gender into it, I really do. But I feel like that is the difference between a male director and a female director. It feels like the episode where the Mandalorian was a lot closer to the child. The future had episodes directed by women. Where the episodes where it was directed by men, it seems like the the child was sidelined and the child was put into dangerous situations. Look at how the Mandalorian treated the child in episode 5, 6. It, it, you know what I'm saying? It, it didn't feel like he actually cared about the child, where it seems like the ch- he actually cared about the child in, season, in episode 3 and episode 4, if that makes any sense. And, and I hate to bring, you know, it might just be coincidence, but I, 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 I noticed that. And I don't know if that's just me or not but it just feels like and th- and that's why I'm going to really like that the the witcher when when we get to the next season because <laughs> you're going to have the main character embrace that father role oh, yeah. which the Mandalorian oh, yeah. should have oh, yeah. but didn't embrace so yeah next season Geralt and Ciri at the beginning it's like imagine if if Ray showed up on Octo and Luke was a little crazy, but he also, you know, got into dad mode a little bit quicker and really wanted to help her. You know, yes, he would insult her and push her around in productive ways, but really had a strong feeling for her that he doesn't have till the end of that movie. Let's put it this way. Han Solo had that feeling towards Rey for whatever reason in Force Awakens. So if you combine those two, 
th- th- you know, th- that's how Geralt is towards Siri. He does no clue what to do with her, how to protect her. But so he just does anything possible to train her and help her protect herself. You know what I mean? That- that's literally, and uh, unlike Luke and Han, who are super selfish, Geralt remains very unselfish going forward. He reacts negatively towards people he shouldn't, and vice versa. But from this point forward, in the books and the series, it's, it is all about her. Um, and that's why we had to have his reclamation with his mother and, and dealing with his childhood and so forth to realize where, where he's at. But he just wants to help her so much. And she has total, total worship of him. And the witchers have total love, you know, for her and want to help her. Um, and, and that's one of the things people are going to love. So, okay. Couple of final questions because I don't want to go on why I think the Mandalorian's shit. I hope I at least represented you well on my semi podcast where I told you that you told me ahead of time that you thought the Mandalorian would be shit. And it was interesting that you ended up actually liking it at least somewhat as, a, as opposed to me. Yeah, it did. Oh my god, it just uh, it's it's complicated. But at least represented it, you correctly, I think, right? In, in that in that yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah, you you yeah. did, but it, the show kind of lost me. Yeah. Episode five, it yeah. it just yeah. it it, it it's complicated. Those things I like about it, but there's also things I don't like about it. Overall, it it felt like <sighs> okay. Okay. I, I, I've said my piece. We've said it. We've said it. We've said it. We'll, we'll get back to it. We've got Clone Wars coming up. We'll do it. So here, here's my proposal for final section. I'll give you final thoughts, which is I want you to ask me a number of questions uh, of things that either happen that you don't understand or might be happening soon. And I will only answer them if they are non-spoilers. But I want to open the floor for you to ask me questions on behalf of the listeners. And again, if they're spoilers, I'll partially or not answer them. So go ahead. Literally anything. So the timeline with the Witcher, is yes. that a straight timeline? The Witcher himself, is that a straight timeline or does it weave? And is it a constant timeline or does it jump like mm-hmm. it's, is it like one is like a year and then mm-hmm. you jump a year or is it a constant thing? If that makes any sense. Is the, the Witcher himself, excluding the end. So the series put out an amazing interactive graphical timeline that you can check out online um, on the Witcher website, or you can go through the timeline of the major characters in the uh, television show. My understanding, Jedi Geek Girl, from the books was that Yennefer was hundreds of years old and Geralt was like a hundred plus years old. They're saying Geralt's older than uh, Yennefer here. Yennefer's like 80 and he's like 100 or whatever. Strigobor the wizard and some of the old wizards are hundreds of years old. Um, uh, uh, but that being said, um, they mentioned, so in the very first episode with, with Renfrey, uh, Renfrey and Geralt are talking in the bar, the very beginning of the series, and Renfrey talks about Queen Calenthe uh, uh, being a major war hero in her early battles. And so that takes place some number of years before the wedding episode, which is some years before Ciri is born. So when we see Geralt and Renfrey at the beginning of the series, it's like a couple decades before uh, the series starts. But the Yennefer transformation takes place even decades before that. And so if you want to look at it this way, 
the 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 Yennefer timeline is the oldest, being like eighty years old. The Geralt timeline's a couple decades old, but then Geralt meets Yennefer in episode five. Now we're only like ten or twenty years before Siri, and then by the time we get to episode seven, the main characters are all basically on the same timeline. If that made any sense. Yeah, it does. I was just wondering because it seems yeah. like a lot of the adventures that the Witcher takes yeah. could you you could take were standalone-ish. Yeah, it, it, you know. So I was just trying to feel like it, here, here's some stories about his adventures that take place in year like fifty five. One takes place in year sixty five. It's not just one year. Um, I I'm curious about the the lifespan, but I think the material itself you pretty much can sum it yes. up I'm, I'm assuming i'm assuming that humans live like humans live they unless they are yes. enchanted somehow yes. dwarves live time. long elves live long witchers live long enchantresses live long yes yeah yeah so that, that makes sense it, it's just a lot of it is still me discovering it and stuff like that so i don't know if i have that many questions i'm just discovering it because I, I know that you know this is this is not the end of the story <laughs> um uh what was your reaction to vilgefortz what's that uh wait hold on hold on one sec while you were looking that up, yeah. I have a question for you. Did yeah. I bash Star Wars enough this episode? I don't or? think so, but you go for it. <laughs> no, I, I, I said, did I did I do enough of it for you? I mean, it, it from my perspective, it deserves it at this point, but you go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just messing around, so... Okay, so when you see this beautiful, great-looking, charismatic... Uh, sort of, uh, wait here, hold on, let me see if this comes through. I, I would like to say, while you're looking that up, I also found the usage of nudity very interesting in the yes. show. It, it felt like, it felt very fantasy, yes. where in Game of Thrones it felt very exploitive, like yes. it had nudity for the sake it of... It was always a joke in The Witcher, it was always like an illusion or a joke or something, yeah. Exactly. It felt it felt totally. very, like I said, instead of it being poor choice of words of porn, if that makes any sense. It, it, it's like violence, for example. It's like yeah. watching a show yeah. where it's gore porn without having the violence actually mean something or, you know... So I, I felt that was very clear of the differences between like Game of Thrones and The Witcher. You guys, you don't even need to really listen to my commentaries after this because Jedi Geek Girl is basically hitting on all <laughs> cylinders of what I talked about in it. But anyways, when you met this beautiful dark-skinned gentleman who's like the white knight who's going to fight with the women against the bad guys and he comes out of nowhere, you know, to lead them all. His name's Vilgefortz. And then they fight, and then he's got the one-on-one -on -one battle with the Nilfgaardian dude, who's way more than he seems, but that's all I'm going to say for, for now. And he fights against them, and then you're going, okay, this guy's a total good guy. And then all of a sudden, at the end, he just murders a, a bunch of good guys for fun. 
Um, rule of thumb, Jedi Geek Girl, other than Istrid, the light-skinned black guy who really had a crush on old Yennefer, who was heartbroken by her giving up uh, her looks for power or whatever in that great scene in the final couple episodes, never, ever, 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 ever trust male magic users or, or sorcerers like literally never i mean a lot of the women like tris and even yennefer become good guys never trust the male sorcerers there's my tease non-spoiler guys never trust the male sorcerers literally ever yep and yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing how that turns out so okay um so final question um uh, d- episode six with the dragons and the dwarves and the golden dragon and the sort of Wakandan, uh, you know, female warrior. What did you think of that whole episode? I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was very unique, and I, I love it when the Witcher and Yennefer meet up and they they, they battle. It, it, I really enjoyed that tag team and. I really enjoyed that series of scenes, that's for sure. I thought the dragons looked amazing, and I love that, unlike Game of Thrones, which, like, teased us forever about seeing the dragons, that they just gave us, they just straight up gave us the dragons right away, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I thought that they did a good job, and it, it was, they did a good shape shift, at least the golden one could. Very yes, the golden dragons are are the most powerful. Yeah. So 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 I take it the golden dragons are the only ones that can shape shift. Yeah, that that we know of, and you know, I, I did. As some of you know, I did an impassioned uh, end of Game of Thrones podcast. Even though you guys all think I hate Game of Thrones because there are a lot of things I hate about Game of Thrones. But I happen to like the last season, and particularly the last couple episodes, which is against almost every Game of Thrones fan who think it's shit. Um, I like how it ended. Uh, but I specifically talk about Khaleesi, uh, Daenerys Targaryen, and Emilia Clark as a dragon lord, and the role of dragons being Jedi Geek Girl like Ents or the Bendu. They're, they're a part of the, these planets and these ecosystems so far beyond us that to assign them good or evil is almost criminal. And But the fact that the golden dragon, uh, Borscht, um, the old guy, uh, the, uh, and, and the witcher, is such a good guy and really trying to help Geralt and Yennefer, let's be honest, he puts them on their path to start being good people. And what does he say? Oh, this is my final point. This is so Star Wars, Jedi Geek Girl, and I've been talking about this a lot. Do you remember at the end, after, after they've won and they've beaten all the bad guys, blah, 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 the golden dragon turns back to Borscht, the old guy, and you got Borscht. And you got Yennefer, and you got Geralt. And he says, look, I've got a couple of things you guys need to hear that you're not going to be happy about. He says to Yennefer, Mm -hmm. he says, you will never, your womb will never truly heal. Which technically Mm -hmm. is true, but is actually a lie because 
why does she need her womb to heal so she has a child? Well, as soon as she meets Siri, exactly like two episodes from now, she's going to fall so in love with Siri as a mother to a daughter as you've never seen before. And so it's, it's completely a lie because who cares? Because her actual daughter, she ends up loving more than any mother ever loved a daughter before with her and Siri. But it's because she needs to get her head straight. And what does he say to Geralt? He says, no matter what you want, Geralt, it's never going to work out between you and Yennefer. And Jane Geek Girl, even as a casual watcher, you're going, come on, these guys are definitely going to have a chance to try it again, you know, maybe at some point, or blah, 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 blah. They're connected from the last wish, but other reason. But why does he say it to Geralt? He doesn't say it to Geralt because it's true. He says it to Geralt because Geralt needs to get his head out of his ass and focus on the Lion Cub of Sintra, Siri, and his destiny, and get and going, and stop being obsessed with Yennefer. So this is exactly who... As I've been comparing, Yoda telling Luke not to go to Cloud City, which, of course, leads to Luke going to Cloud City. And then Yoda saying, you must kill Vader, specifically so Luke doesn't kill Vader. Or, you know, the Oracle in the Matrix continually telling Neo to do things that, you know, he shouldn't be doing in order to get them to not do those things, if that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, and so the the Golden Dragon in, in, in The Witcher, specifically as, as portrayed Borsh is the old guy is actually much more benevolent and good in helping the good guys than is often the case. Um, and, and I just thought that episode was cool. But also, people who normally aren't into fantasy or dragons that I've talked to really l- loved that episode, which which I thought was cool. I thought I thought they nailed it. I, I would like to say that I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about that conversation, and I think it has a lot of real world applications, uh, especially for women who cannot have children yes. uh, because they're incapable of having children. And after we get the second season, I think they will really appreciate that arc and that message. And, and I, I, I really do appreciate that because I think we as human beings, we get so focused on that particular thing especially if you want children of uh, children coming from you that you are blinded to the fact that you can still have that love you can still be a mother father parent uh, whatever a guardian without that child coming directly from you i just i just really appreciate that message and yeah that's just something i was thinking about when you were talking Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I can't wait to hopefully talk about this more. I guess what I was trying to say about Yennefer earlier is that, you know, it's important that lead female characters that we like, we also dislike because they're so complicated. That's a true sign of feminism in in television, in, in film. Like, not everyone has to be lovable, you know, like Princess Leia or, or Rey with no flaws. You know what I mean? Like, it's important that we have all the sides of things. Um, and so I, 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 again, want to stress Anya Chalotra as Yennefer. To me, again, as an insider and someone who's been pushing this for a year and talking about this Jedi Geek Girl, as you know, I've been saying Anya Chalotra was going to blow everyone away as Yennefer. I'm, I'm really thrilled that not only did she nail it, but to give you final thoughts on this, was clearly the main character of a series of books that she's barely in in the books. And they made her the lead character of the first season I thought was the right choice, and she nailed it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. 
Awesome. All right. All right. Well, any final thoughts here? You want to promote anything? You want to talk about anything? You want to, you want to fucking diss anyone? You want to throw some shade? Now, the shade throwing, the, the self-promotion and or shade throwing begins now. Go ahead. I think I'm, I think I had my <laughs> fair share of fishing, I, I think, but uh, obviously I would like to upload my podcast, which is going through a transition right now. Uh, we are still focused on Star Wars Destiny. The game has been canceled and because of my disillusionment with Star Wars, I'm stepping away from not only the game, which is ending, so it's pointless, uh, and Star Wars in general after the game concludes. So I'm still focused on Star Wars Destiny for now until like June or something, until you we really get to episode 99. You really the game like 100%? Yep, they did, they did. Wow. Well, we'll talk about it after we get done recording. Wow. And I'm going to, I'm going to pull a bizzle and I'm going to try to focus more on geek culture and not just Star Wars. That way, I am not in this position again, and I'm not feeling like I have to talk about something the I don't Carol love Core. and enjoy. The Carol Core, we got to do it. We got to do Captain Marvel. We got to do Carol Core. I want it. We got to do it. We gotta do so much, but um, I'm but right now I'm still talking about Star Wars Destiny on yes. my podcast. But um, after episode ninety nine, I'm planning on talking about geek culture. You can still find the podcast everywhere uh, using I Bell Destiny after the link like facebook.com mm. slash I Bell Destiny, Instagram dot com slash I Bell Destiny, Twitter. Twitter.com slash Destiny, and you can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl where I am talking about video games I'm talking about Doctor Who I'm talking about wrestling I'm talking about everything except Star Wars except when it comes to Star Wars I'm probably ranting about it so uh, Jedi Geek Girl because of our love of characters like Ahsoka and Rey I, I cannot wait I cannot wait for you to see season two, Siri, where she's doing cartwheels with two swords and training with the witches. It's like, I'm going to be the best witcher fighting the witches of all the witches. Oh my God. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so great. I'm not saying guys is going to replace star Wars for you guys out there, but there's a reason people like me are attracted to this stuff. I'm thrilled that you like it. You embraced it, but also internalized it in a way. A lot of my friends refused to do, or it took a lot more work. So, Thank you for uh, for giving it a shot, and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you love it, and something that we might talk about going forward, although I definitely want to do Marvel, the Female Avengers podcast as well. One last statement, one last ditch. It is definitely giving me something that Star Wars is not. Absolutely. 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 And, uh... Yeah, my only problem is I, I'm having, you know, a- after seeing it a bunch of times doing commentaries, I'm having, uh, you know, withdrawal symptoms or whatever. But like you, I'm going to wait for the rewatch. So, okay. Thank you so much for being on, Bizzlecast listeners. This was an absolute treat. 
Um, I am not at all particularly going to be doing Star Wars podcasts anytime soon, and so getting my contributors on for anything is amazing. This was great, Jedi Geek Girl. I can't wait to talk some Marvel and some other things as well. We'll talk off mic about the Destiny situation and so forth, but uh, really, uh, thank you for being on, but even more so for having such an open mind about a property like this, which could have been so weird that you turned it off and texted me, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you telling me to watch this? <laughs> yeah, no. No, th- thank you for the suggestion. And like I said, if it wasn't for Star Wars, I probably wouldn't have given it a look. So things always work out at the end. If I could do the rock eyebrow raise right now, I would do it. I don't know how to do that uh, um, audio-wise, but imagine <laughs> the, the rock eyebrow raise. Champions, what does he call it? Uh, the people's eyebrow. The people's eyebrow. He's gonna be Black Adam, baby, in the Shazam universe. We're getting some rock. I know you're excited about that. Oh, I'm very excited. Uh-huh. I, I very easily get excited with the rock. Oh, really? Sure. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. All right, people. Thank you so much. Toss a coin to your Witcher. He's a friend of humanity. Jedi Geek Girl. Thank you. The Bizzlecast is out.